Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday. Get in town on Friday. We're on to Cincinnati. There you go. That's Oliver Marmol after getting swept by the Tampa Bay Rays. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, the officially licensed Rolex jeweler, and the Rams are the Rams. The, the Rams. The Rams. The Rams. The, the Cardinals are finished with the Rays, and we're on to Cincinnati. There we go. You know what it is? What? It's a Freudian slip when you're talking about a lot, a lot of uh, losses lo- compiling. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. about the Rams. Get used to it. The St. Yeah. Louis Rams. It that was from the depths of your brain. It sure was. So, yeah, Oliver Marmol and his team take on the Reds this weekend after getting swept by the Rays. We're on to Cincinnati. That's a good move, Ollie. We are on to Cincinnati. Do we even need to talk about what transpired in Tampa? I have no plans for that, Michelle. I'm over it. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. I will say this. Whitey Herzog used to say, hey, if you're going to lose, you might as well lose fast. And it took an hour and 54 minutes. That's true. So it, that they did good. cruise through that loss. Yeah. So, and I agree with that assessment, that thought process that Whitey had. I, I agree with him one hundred percent. You're gonna lose, lose fast. Don't drag out the misery. But you know what? Now the Cardinals better take care of business versus the Reds and the Pirates. Yeah, I would say that uh, they've they've got some must win series, not must win games, but as we've talked about, Michelle. They have some must-win series coming up because it's getting pretty easy to look at the National League. And you remember before the season started, I said, hey, I believe there are seven or eight really good teams in the National League, and the Cardinals are either seventh or eighth. When you look right now, the top eight teams in the National League are the Dodgers, Mets, Padres, Brewers, Cardinals, Giants, the Braves who have won eight in a row, and then the Phillies who have won seven in a row. And then your team's... That don't make, aren't going to make the playoffs. Those eight have a chance to make the playoffs. Diamondbacks don't. Marlins don't. Rockies don't. Pirates, Cubs, Nationals, Reds don't. So the way I'm looking at it is, like we have thought all year long, you got to dominate your division. You have to take, and especially after only going three and two against the Cubs last week, you have to take advantage of the opportunities that arise like are arising this weekend. They absolutely should. And should you get swept by a team like like Tampa? Absolutely not. They're good, but they're not that much better than you. That McClanahan is a stud, though. Their pitching is really, really good. I don't. I'll say this: I don't think the Cardinals have finished in the top three in the American League East. Really? No, I don't think the Cardinals are as good as Toronto. I don't think they're as good as the Yankees. I don't think they're as good as Tampa Bay, and they're probably not better than Boston. See, maybe I have uh, red-colored glasses on, but I think that they're on par with Tampa. I know that this series did not show it uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but they should not be that much better than the Cardinals. Tampa is a team that's greater than the sum of its parts. And they, as we talked to Kevin Ibach about, they have a, a specific, they're kind of like the Baltimore Ravens of baseball. They, they, <laughs> Good have, comp. they have a specific type of player that fits what they do. 
And it works. For they them. have an identity they that they stick do. to. You're right. Yeah. That's a good comp. Yeah. So, and like the Ravens, they're kind of always in the mix somehow, but don't mm-hmm. really get a lot of credit or shine. Yeah, right, right. And and by the way, the Rays beat the Yankees all the time. Except they don't have a Lamar Jackson. No, they they, <laughs> they don't have they, a Lamar they Jackson. Don't have that guy. No, it's more Joe Flacco. Ravens <laughs> yeah, totally. Than, <laughs> no doubt about it. Yesterday in baseball, there were some other games that were of interest. And by the way, the Rays did beat the Cardinals by a score of two to one. But the game that's getting the most attention is an eleven nine Dodgers win over th- the Chicago White Sox. And the reason, Michelle, that it's getting so much pub is that Tony Larusa decided in the fifth inning to walk. Trey Turner, intentional walk, even though there was a two stri- a one-two count on Trey Turner. Ball gets away from the catcher, and runner moves up, open base at first base. One-two count on Trey Turner, and Tony decides to walk him so that he can pitch with the left-hander to Max Muncie. And it did not go well. Muncie hit a home run. He had two strikes. Yeah. Two strikes. Yeah. I can't I love you, Tony. I love you. I can't make sense of this one, Randy. He had two strikes. Yeah. And by the way, that kind of put the game away. The the White Sox are the, yeah, the White Sox battled at the end, but that made it, turned it from a 7-5 game into a 10-5 game in the sixth inning. Here is Tony's defense of deciding to intentionally walk Trey Turner, even though he had a 1-2 count. So let me ask you a question. Is there is there some question about whether that was a good move or not? I guess at one two is the question. The count. You know what he hits against left-hand pitching, with one, oh one or two strikes. You know what he hits. Well, you know what Muncie hits with two strikes with against left-hand pitcher. I mean, is that really a question? Because it was one and two. Turner with a, a strike left against a left-hander is not something you can avoid if you can. And we had an open base, and Muncie happened to be the guy behind him, and that's a better matchup. Here again, somebody disagrees. That's that's the beauty of this game. Welcome to it. But that that wasn't a tough call. Was there a reason for waiting until one two though? Not huh? right was there a reason to not do it right away and wait till one two? Well, that's when they, that's when the the pitch got away. And the and the base was open. Oh, oh I, I got the answer. Turner hits one ninety seven. Michelle one ninety seven with a two oh four and a three oh four slug with a one two count. I know. I know that answer, Tony. And by the way, he says, well, what, what's Muncie hit with the two-strike count? You never got to a two-strike count with Muncie. That's the issue, is that you had the one-two. So I get where Tony's coming from, lefty on lefty. But he does have a lefty on the mound with a good slider. And I think that was the thing. You send out your pitching coach, Ethan Katz, and say, look, throw this guy, your Trey Turner, on a one-two pitch. You throw him your best wipeout slider. If it doesn't work, I can understand even walking the guy on a two-two count. But not when you have them in the hole, because major league hitters hit 163, one two. Major league hitters as a group hit 163 when the count is one and two. I just couldn't believe that you wouldn't have more confidence in your pitcher in that no, moment. No, no. And this was he got to that point. Right. This is a guy that throws mid 90s and has his out pitch is a wipeout slider, Bennett Sousa. That's that's his pitch. So. You throw it to a right-handed hitter, you hit him in the back foot. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least give that guy an opportunity to get the out. Yeah, can you imagine getting up in the count like that and you're the pitcher and then you see that he wants you to walk? You're like, what? You want me to do what? I have two strikes. Right, right. Let me punch him out. And I, I think the rules now are worse that a manager can just hold up the four fingers and you're a pitcher on the mound and, and you don't even get to throw a pitch to the guy. He's just there at first base. That would be very demoralizing for me if I was a pitcher. 
Yeah, I think that happened to Sousa because he allowed a home run to the next year. I would think so. And you you had the numbers. According to ESPN Stats and Info, Turner is a 254 career hitter after a 1-2 count against the lefty. This season, he's hitting 333, 5-for-15 in, in those situations. I'll take my chances. I will I, Even though he's hitting 333, I, I will absolutely take my chances. And in Chicago, since Tony got hired, they've been wondering. And by the way, I don't want to completely dismiss his thought process here because it is, you go from... Lefty on righty, and Turner is a really good hitter, maybe the best in the National League right now, to a lefty on lefty matchup. But when it doesn't work, you are going to be scrutinized for it. Yes, and a lot of people in Chicago are waiting for moments mm-hmm. like this where they can pounce on Tony Larusa and say, he's lost his fastball, he should have never been put in this position, his best days are past him. He still has a, a very in-depth thought process about what matchup he thought was better. Mm-hmm. I just happen to disagree. Maybe he thinks the matchup is better, but I am not, when my pitcher has two strikes, I'm letting him go for it. Matthew? It's this isn't just results-oriented, and that's, I think, the, the key part, is you point out the fact that there's a fault in the logic of his process, as Michelle just said. That's the big issue here. It's not just that, you know, it didn't work out and it's a crazy move. It's that it doesn't make sense when you even go to the points that he points out in the press conference. Right. 196. Yeah, don't th- ask. Was it, was it yeah. 306 or 360 slug? Either way, it's not very impressive yeah. and it's not very deadly. Yeah, the, the, it, it's a bad question to ask. Well, you know what Trey Turner's in the game with a 1-2 count? Well, it, don't ask that question because it's not great. He went to law school. He should know. Don't ask a question you don't know the answer to or you, or you don't want them, them to know the answer to. It's, 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 a dumb, it's a dumb way to set it up. The thing is, he went to law school 45 years That's ago. That's a problem, yeah, potentially. Uh, we have the NBA Finals game number four tonight here on 101 ESPN. Steph Curry injured his foot late in game three. What's he thinking about tonight? Because I went through what I went through at the end of the regular season and coming back, I know exactly what it is and what I got to deal with and soreness slash pain level and all that so once I got checked out last night I knew I wouldn't have to go get any extra tests just because we've been through this before Um, and there's a good understanding of what it is same foot and all that so it's I guess comfort knowing I've been through it before but also you'd rather not have to deal with something like that at this point in the season. Yeah, the problem, Michelle, is that when he was dealing with it, when he was on the floor, he didn't perform well, mm-hmm. and he missed a lot of time with that. It's a pretty serious deal. If this is the same thing it was earlier, pretty serious deal. And pretty positive for the Boston Celtics. Yeah, right. If you don't have Clay at 100%, or excuse me, Steph at 100%, that puts so much more pressure on Clay and Draymond and the other Warriors to, to get it done. Steph is obviously the key to everything. He's so critical. Mm-hmm. And if he's not at 100%, Speaking of a, a key, Matthew, can you uh, come back and uh, you broke down Jason Tatum's start of the fourth quarter, and, and can you just tell folks about what happened with the Celtics when they exploded down the stretch of the third quarter? Yeah, they, they go from a four-point lead with 11:30 left in the fourth to a seven to a 14-point lead with about five minutes left, and they go on a 17-7 run to push that 10-point lead. Jason Tatum scores eight points and assists on two three-pointers in that stretch run. So he's responsible for 14 of those 17 points and three of the and, and three of the field goals he made in addition to the two free throws, he went one-on-one with a with a Golden State Warrior isolated and completely cooked them off the dribble and scored at the rim. Twice it was Andrew Wiggins. Mm. Absolutely beat him to the cup an incredible move. Jason Tatum, that was championship level stuff to start the fourth quarter of a game three after stopping that run in the third. That's legacy building kind of stuff right there. And one of the things early on, and we kind of tend to forget this, is that 
The relationship between Tatum and Jalen Brown was stunted a little bit by the presence of Kyrie Irving. What about that relationship now? Here's Tatum. Because uh, we, we want to. We want to win uh, by any means. I think two young guys that are, you know, ultra competitive, uh, passionate about what we do, and just want to win by any means necessary. And everybody in that locker room knows it. Um, and, you know, we're not perfect. We're 24. He's 25. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know everybody expects everything to happen just like that, but it took time. It, it takes time. But, you know, two of the hardest working guys and, um, you know, we got the trust of our teammates uh, to lead this group. And that's what we've been trying to do. 24 and 25. Unreal. Mm-hmm. Still so young, but has has grown so much already. He's right, though. Everyone expects it to happen right away. No one wants to give teams or young players, especially if you have a high ceiling, any time to grow. I know mm-hmm. we're guilty of that, especially when it comes to young Cardinals players, prospects. We expect them to come in right away and find the chemistry and the production that they need to. But sometimes it does take time. And how lucky is Boston, say this with all due respect, that Kyrie Irving left? Oh, so lucky. <laughs> So lucky. I mean, if Kyrie is there with those kids and is able to infect them with his attitude, if Tatum and Brown have to spend any more time with them, I think they're in big trouble. How lucky are they? I always think back to that draft that Fultz and Ball yeah. went before Tatum. Right. And by the way, Boston, apparently, if they wouldn't have made that trade, I was reading a story about that at ESPN.com. Great piece about Jason Tatum. That Boston was ready to take Fultz, too. Oh my people, people liked Fultz a lot in that draft. I remember being at the network at the time, and I'm like, Jason Tatum should go number mm-hmm. one overall. And they're like, you're such a homer. I'm like, maybe I am a homer, but trust me when I tell you on this one, this guy is going to be one of the superstars of the league. And Michelle, here's another one. He desperately wanted to get drafted by the Lakers, and they took Lonzo. Mm. And he grew up as a Kobe fan, as we mm-hmm. know, and he wanted to be there. And the Lakers never even interviewed him, never even worked him out. That is shameful. Yeah, it's unbelievable. (laughs) You wouldn't even work him out, and he's in the conversation to be the number one overall pick, and you're not even going to work him out. Yeah, that's how fixated they were on LeVar's son. Well, and that's Lonzo was a good player, but credit to LeVar for building up Mm -hmm. all of that marketing around his son and his family at that time because that's all you heard about anywhere was about LeVar ball popping off about something. Right. Pre-game tonight at 7, Celts and Warriors here on 101 ESPN. Last night, the Lightning beat the Rangers 3-1, and Tampa leads that series. Three games to two. Off and running here on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It is Friday, and that means it's peak or pit day here on 101 ESPN. We're on to Cincinnati. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Up into the peaks or into the pit? Peaks and pits. Join in on the conversation with Character and Smallman now. Text 65780. This is 101 ESPN. We always enjoy hearing from you, whether it's on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, or if you'd like to leave us a mic drop anytime, if you have a reaction to anything we say on the show, the Rhino Shield mic drop available at your 101 ESPN app. And by the way, if you haven't downloaded the app yet, you can get a grand, $1,000. And if you have, I I learned this yesterday, Michelle, if you already have the app, you can sign up for the $1,000. You don't have to start over. So yeah, get the app or use the app to sign up for the grand. Can we sign up? Because I'm going to do it right now. We can sign up, yeah. That's good. We've got both had the app. Right. 
Yeah, so let's sign up right now, and it's you should too. $1,000. Before we get to peak and pit, Randy, can we do some housekeeping here? Let's do it. Uh, the 314 sends in a text, and I think we need to read it. It says, Michelle Randall, can I get a shout-out to your newest listener, William, who was born on Tuesday night? We slept through the show yesterday, but we have it on today. <laughs> William, welcome to the world. Welcome to Character and Smallman. Thrilled to have you with us, and congratulations to mom and dad and young Willie. I would say William might be our youngest listener, B-L-I-S. I would say that he has set the record. Time for first. No so welcome to the fold, William. Absolutely. Glad to have you. So that's a good peak. Congratulations. Yes, someone has a great yep. peak. Randy, my peak is that I think I finally normalized my sleep schedule. And my pit is because I've done it because we don't have Blues playoff hockey anymore. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's good, though. I'm glad you're getting your sleep schedule taken care of there. I woke up today and I was like, wow, I got more sleep in the past couple days than I have in weeks. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's because the Blues aren't playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs anymore. Bummer. It was, a, it was yeah. moments within one another where I had a peak and then a pit. Yeah, I get it. But it's long-term health-wise, it'll be a good thing for you. Is it? Because if the Blues won the Stanley Cup, that brings me infinite joy. And happiness is very important to health. And I believe it was three years ago yesterday that was Game 6. So tomorrow would be the celebration, the three-year anniversary of Game 7, I think. Mm. Good times. Those were. And then we're closing in on the three-year anniversary of... A, Jordan Hicks getting hurt, more important, tearing his UCL and getting Tommy John surgery, and B, me getting my tattoo. I forget all the time that you have that tattoo. Yeah, we got it, baby. That is, this is a man of integrity. This is a man that said he was going to get a tattoo and could have easily said, yeah, I got one on my back and not have done it. And he did it. He did it live on the radio. This is a man who pays his debts. Yeah, and thanks to Big Dave Canoy and the Ink Spot, because he did a fantastic job. Michelle, my peak is being at the Mizzou Tiger Club Golf Tournament at Bogey Hills on Monday and having a chance to visit with Eli Drinkwitz, who so publicly hates both Kansas and Arkansas. I love having a coach that's willing to be like a fan or a radio talk show person. Say, yeah, I hate Arkansas. It's pretty cool. I love that, too. Now, he originally he is it. from Arkansas. I don't know if I ever told you this story. When Joan was nine months pregnant with Patrick, we're at, my dad was in the hospital at uh, Barnes Jewish in the city. And we go to visit him. And literally, she's like a week away from giving birth. And we hop in an elevator to go up to visit my dad. And a woman says, are you husband and wife or brother and sister? And I said, we're from Arkansas. We're both. <laughs> and so uh, it's always fun to do Arkansas jokes. And then uh, my pit is that the Cardinals had to pitch Chris Vonderheide in, in an extra inning game. Uh, and Drew, Drew Verhagen. Drew, uh, that, thank you, Michelle. Drew Verhagen. Yeah, they had to pitch him in an extra inning game and lost. As Ollie said, sometimes these guys are going to have to get outs for you. They are. Well, at least they're going to have to pitch for you. I don't know if they're going to get out. <laughs> Randy, Randy, I have a controversial take about uh, Drew Verhagen. They built that statue too quickly. It just, it, I think it's in I'm his head you. a little bit. I think it's I'm, in his head a little bit. I think that might be Chris Vonderhaal. <laughs> oh! <laughs> okay, fair enough. Makes a little bit more sense, I guess. What do we got on the text line? Uh, Peak, my youngest child started crawling... Pit, I never get to experience this again. Uh, next kid. Yeah. Have another kid, why not? Yeah. Just savor it. Hey, and you know what? Like in a week they'll be up and running and you'll be running and you'll be in great condition for as long as that kid is running around during the uh, toddler years. You have to run after him. Everywhere. Yep. I've been there. Yeah. Come on. Just be happy about the peak. That's a great peak.
Peak finally coming to terms with the Blues not being in the playoffs. Pitt watching the Avs advance fully knowing it could have been the Blues. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. If you have Jordan Biddington, you're in the finals, and then you get to lose to the Lightning. Hey. They got to be really tired. Lightning? Yes, think about that. Think about all all the miles on their bodies, Mm -hmm. winning so many Stanley Cup playoff uh, playoff games, Stanley Cup final games. They're really tired. And the Blues have physicality. They could have worn them down. The Blues could have been hoisting a cup. Thanks, Kadri. How tired is Pat Maroon? Not tired at all. By the way, last night he's on with Scott Van Pelt and says, hey, this is a dream come true for me to be on this show. So that was... Pepperin's cool. He's, He's just the best. Cool. Hometown hero, baby. Yep, and he can beat Colorado. He can save St. Louis for us. I was thinking about that last night. It has to be Pat Marone. Yep, it does. It, has, awesome. to, it has to be Pat Marone. And he has to think Stan Kroenke is blanked. Right. That'd be great. Look up to the box if he's in there. You're blanked. Yep. Speaking of which, a little combo of those two. Pitt's still mad about the Colorado Avalanche going to the Stanley Cup Finals. But at peak, Pat, the hometown hero Maroon, is close to a four-peat. It would be against Stan Kroenke. Hometown hero, baby. Even be a bigger hometown hero. One of the greatest quotes ever. Yeah. And total sobriety, too. He was just, he had full thought, full faculties there. Yeah, we saw him that day. We yeah. walked with him for a while. <laughs> I think we, totally don't, with don't it. we have a photo with him? We do have a photo with him. <laughs> that was the, be- the best day ever. If we, you know, we were very caught up, and I was especially getting stuff for social media that day. Vladimir Tarasenko hugging people in the crowd. Um, Petro doing a great job of getting people from behind the barricades to walk up Market Street with the cup. Just so many beautiful moments from that day. I wish we had a, a booze reporter, just somebody that would have been taking pictures and videos or documenting how many alcoholic beverages were consumed and what was happening with guys. Because we know some guys maybe got a little sick on the, hey. <laughs> in the vehicles. I just want to know how many Bud Lights were put down that day. I wish we had a specific alcohol reporter. Sonny was sitting on the back of his convertible and he was out. I mean, because obviously those guys have been drinking for a couple of days. And Sonny, I mean, his head's down, his eyes are closed. And then, you know, I started interviewing him and he it lifts his head. But he was O-U-T. Most of those guys were like, <laughs> where are we? We're back in St. Yeah. Louis? Great. And they deserved it. They earned <laughs> they every bit sure of that party. Did. It was great. Absolutely. Peak, my wife just retired after 29 years of teaching. Wow. Congratulations, Congratulations on your happy retirement. Yeah. Pitt, she gets to be home now while I still have to go to work. Hmm. You know what? She'll enjoy herself. She'll get to do exercise and yoga and body pump and all that stuff. And uh, she'll have a great time. And that's the way you have to look at it is that it's great for her and a happy wife, happy life. And 29 years of teaching. That's a long time. I don't know what grade she taught or what subject she taught, but whew. I can't imagine that kids have changed at all in those 29 years, Michelle. I don't know, Randy seems like it might be a little harder these days. But maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. Anyway, congrats to her. Yeah, it's great. Enjoy Peak, it. Peak, I want a coffee maker in the company raffle. All right. Pit, I don't drink coffee. Oh. Uh. Well, there's your first mistake. It's the nectar of the gods. <laughs> <laughs> it is the nectar of the gods. Coffee is the greatest <laughs> gift we've been given. What are you talking about? You don't drink coffee. This is your sign from the man upstairs that you need to start oh. getting Joe into your body. Get some coffee in those veins. Just remember that you have that coffee maker when we get to December and you've got a Christmas gift for somebody. That's called regifting, and it's great. You can Google our address on the website <laughs> and drop it right off for me.
Really, that's your, your, your big thing is just promoting regifting, Randy? <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. Are you a regifter? He just said he was. I, he just I've been a regifter in the past, yeah. That's shocking. Because you're so thoughtful when it comes to gifts. Not with everybody. Oh, okay. And sometimes you just have the regift that's perfect. Do you write down who gave you the initial gift so that you're not regifting there's, to the same person like an old school where they try to give him the toaster? Yeah, there's no chance that that could ever happen with me. I, I would never give something to somebody that they gave to me. There's no chance of that ever happening. Okay. Never stare a re-gift horse in the mouth? No, never. Never do that. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, a lot to talk about in the golf world with our friend Jay Delsing. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carrick, we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Jay Delsing joins us. You can hear Golf with Jay Delsing Sunday mornings at 9 here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How about you all? Good. What a wild week in the golf world and a lot to get to. But Jay, I want to start with this in regards to the LIV Tour, because several of the players that are playing in the LIV that have been suspended say they're going to appeal because they are independent contractors. Yet, several of the other players have resigned from the, the PGA Tour. How, how can you be... Uh, an independent contractor, which means you don't have any ties to the organization, but then have to resign. Yeah, I mean, we're, we are all over the place, guys, because they're getting all sorts of different legal advice from their their teams. And um, all I can tell you is that when, when I got on the PGA Tour, it was 100 years ago, but in 1984, I'll never forget signing all of these documents and not really giving a damn what it was. I was just, I had just finished the qualifying school and was like, man, I got my tour card. This is really going to be cool. But what it was, you guys, is we signed um, basically away our name, image, and likeness to the PGA Tour um, as part of our membership. You know, it would be similar to saying if, if you let Michael Jordan own his own rights, then we'd have to pay Michael Jordan to watch, you know, him play basketball. And so that's how these leagues, you know, do their thing and, and create what they create. But with the, with the tour, it's different because we don't have a union. We don't have a players association. We actually don't have a said contract with the PGA tour other than what we what I signed a long time ago. And quite frankly, guys, I don't have any idea what's in there. So I got to ask you this. Do you think that the players that have played in the LIV, and by the way, they've played in events in Japan and Dubai and European tours without any repercussions in the past. Do they have an argument in saying that it's wrong that they got suspended by the PGA Tour? Well, the way the rules work now, guys, is that when when you want to go play, and an opposite event. So right now the RBC Canadian Open is going on up in, outside of Toronto, and it is PGA Tour co-sanctioned. If you want to go play in the LIV, you need what's called a conflicting event release form. You need to apply for that. I only applied for it one time when I was playing, and I got it. And um, you need to apply for that. And if once it's granted, you go play whenever, where, whenever and wherever that event is. If it's rejected you're not allowed to play because the tour has that say that's just in our regs. I, 
but when it comes down to, to to the legality, you guys, I think it's really going to come down to what it legally means to be an independent contractor and be part of the PGA Tour organization. Those two things together. I, I, I'm not really sure what what's going to happen. I mean, there. I, I, I just, what I don't understand. Obviously, this is all about money. It's all about money because why the hell would you want to go over to play in London and play in a 42-man field with a shotgun start with 20, at least 21 people that you've never heard of <laughs> and go over? I mean, and, and how is that growing the game? With, and how, is that, how is that helping? I mean, I know it's a ton of money in your pocket, but this is a cash grab. Jay, I, I know it is a cash grab. You're absolutely right. And some of these sums of money are are mind boggling. It's it's outrageous. It's hundreds of millions of dollars. That's hard from any hard for anyone to walk away from. However, these are inherent competitors. And that's the one thing that I can't really rationalize is that so many of these guys would be willing to walk away from the chance to compete in events like the Masters or the US Open. I, I, well, so see, Michelle, that's where it gets tricky. So, and, and you may have heard this, you may not, but our four majors are not co-sanctioned PGA Tour events. The Masters is, um, is owned and operated by the members at Augusta National, and they are free to make their own rules, meaning, Michelle, they could actually say to the people that they invite to play each year, here's the ball you're going to play. Here's a buck. There's here's ten barrels of balls, and everybody has to play this ball. Here's the clubs of. They can dictate and do almost anything they want. The PGA Championship is run by the PGA of America. They are not part of the PGA Tour anymore. The the RNA is you know the the home of golf over in, in uh, Europe, and they run the the Open Championship. And what I miss? Oh, the USGA is you know runs the U.S. Open. So. What these players are thinking at this point, and so far I think they're correct, is that they will be able to play in the majors. They will not be able to play in any other PGA Tour co-sanctioned event, but they will be able to play those four majors until those entities otherwise. It's, it's a, I know that's confusing, but the majors are standalone events, and they are not part of of the PGA tour umbrella. They, they are run themselves. Is your pride in being a PGA tour player such that you're angry at all at the guys that have left for the LIV? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I, I am. I, you know what I learned from this? You guys, I played golf because I love the game. I, I, I mean, I, this just tells you these, the sums of money have to be so obscene to get these guys to jump. If they offered these guys, so one of the reasons, you guys, when we played the tour, the European players, the, the top European players, Bernard Langer, Nick Faldo, um, Sevi Ballesteros, Jose Maria Olathabo, all the top European players, Colin Montgomery, none of them joined the PGA Tour because when they played on their home tour, the European Tour, they got between two hundred dollars and $500,000 guarantees per event just to show up. We don't do that on the U.S. tour. We are not allowed to give uh, appearance uh, fees. Our commissioner at the time, Dean Beeman, said, look, you're going to need to play 15 events or else you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be a member. You just can't cherry pick the events 
And this was going to cost these guys back in the day when we weren't making any sort of money, you know, a couple million bucks. And so none of them did that. The Europeans have been paying their players to show up ever since they started the tour to try to make it relevant, to try to build a field. But this money is so ridiculous, $200 million for Phil Mickelson. And if you look at the guys outside of maybe Bryce and DeChambeau, and I'll be surprised if this doesn't change his mind and not do it. But outside of Bryce and DeChambeau, most of the guys are struggling with relevancy and, and their games. Dustin Johnson slid all the way to 13th in the world. Now, he's still uh, a viable player, but these other guys, Sergio, I mean, and, and uh, Ian Poulter, uh, uh, Lee Westwood, these guys are struggling for places to, to, to play and try to stay relevant in the game. And so it's, I don't know, you guys, it just pisses me off, really. It's just all about money and the way that the, where the money's coming from. You know, I have four daughters. I, 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 I'm not down with it. Jay, when it was first announced that Phil Mickelson was going to join LIV, the backlash was quick and it was it was pretty consistent from around the sports world. He kind of went into hibernation. But then Dustin Johnson announces that he's also going to be a part of this Saudi-backed golf, golf entity. And then you hear about the other names that are coming behind him. Do you think DJ joining this kind of broke the dam or opened the door for some other guys to say, well, if he's doing it, maybe the, the backlash won't be so bad for me? You know, Michelle, I, I think the reasoning is sound. I just don't know because DJ is not looked at as the brightest bulb on the circuit for us. You know what I mean? He's got a perfect disposition to play professional golf. <laughs> but when it comes to stuff like this, I I don't think a lot of people, you know, try to emulate much of what he does. Um, but but what, what I'm confused about, you guys, is the legal side of this, a legal S. What's going to happen? Where, what is the advice that these guys are getting, and what does it all look like? It's, it's all over the board. You know, and, and Mickelson to say that he doesn't need the money is, I mean, I, I don't think Phil's told the truth ever. When I, after reading his book, after talking to Alan Shipnick I had on the show a couple weeks ago, and then, and then watching this kind of play out, Phil's press conferences yesterday and the day before were comical because he's typically a guy that fires back quick, thinks quickly, doesn't think too uh, in-depthly, and just has these conversations because he's kind of considers himself the smartest guy in the room, and so he's just going to have this kind of folly when it comes to these conversations. And then he's been going through therapy and all these other things that he talked about, and he, man, he dodged every single question that was in front of him in his press conferences. Hey, Jay, two more quick things. Number one, I wonder what these guys are going to be thinking. The LIV doesn't play in August. And August 18th through 21st and then 25th through 28th, you've got the BMW Championship in Wilmington, and then you've got the Tour Championship at East Lake. And these guys aren't going to have an opportunity. The legal system won't work quickly enough for people like DJ and DeChambeau to participate in that. It'll be interesting to find out later when they play the next time how they felt about watching the championship of golf be played, real golf. I totally agree, Randy. Plus, you got to remember, eight events? I mean, who cares if you win this thing? Yeah, right. To beat right. 21 other guys that are even, I mean, they have their name on their bags. The other, there's amateurs in the field. It just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I, I don't know where they're, they're going with this. And, and then they're going to watch the PGA Tour com, you know, compete and have these events and have 
the, the our usual suspects and the stars and the TV. And I, I mean, I, I can't believe that's not going to drive them crazy. And then the final thing, who do you have on the show on Sunday? Oh, it's just going to be, it's just Pearlie and I, we're trying to break this stuff down and trying to make some sense out of it. And it's, and it's, it's difficult, but can I tell you a quick, kind of a funny story about Arkansas? I know you guys were yeah, talking yeah. about Coach Drink in Arkansas. So I, I was emceeing an event for David Faraday, and we were interviewing some of the pros. And uh, Glenn Day, whose nickname was All Day because he took so long when he played golf, <laughs> is from Arkansas. And I was introducing him, and I said, Glenn, I'm not sure if you saw this article, which wasn't an article. I was just making it up. But in the USA Today, uh, the Boot Hill part of Missouri – was ceded to the state of Arkansas, and the reports came in that said that it increased the IQ by 10% in each state. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I said, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we had some fun with it. I thought you'd enjoy it. I love it. Jay, love having you on. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll be tuned in Sunday, and we'll see you soon. Have a good weekend, guys. Thank you. you. Great stuff. That is Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Coming your way next. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We want to hear from you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Six five seven eight zero is the text line number for take it or leave it. Michelle, you know Olivia Culpo from the IG, right? Uh, unfamiliar. Sure. Remind me. Sure, she's the uh, girlfriend of one Christian McCaffrey. Oh yes, yes, yes. Who yes. turned twenty six on Wednesday, and he enjoyed a home cooked meal with their pup Oliver Sprinkles and Olivia. <laughs> Oliver Sprinkles, you said? Yeah, that's their 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 pup. She said, "quote All Christian wanted to do for his birthday was cook together, and that meant." She said, McCaffrey snoozing on the couch with Oliver Sprinkles. Mm. Uh, she's been dating McCaffrey for nearly three years, and she appeared to gift Christian a bottle of champagne and sweet treats for his special day as well. They capped off their evening by watching the latest season of Stranger Things in bed. This is all on the IG. Take mm. it or leave it. This is the sweetest thing you've ever heard. Leaving it. Oh, come on. This is adorbs. Leaving it. It's not the sweetest thing I've ever Hashtag heard. Adorbs. Oh man! I'm so I'm glad they're happy. Uh, happy birthday to Christian! Shout out to you. Gets a little nap with Oliver Sprinkles. Well, I'm, I'm with Michelle on this one. Put a little work in the kitchen there, Christian. Come on, man! If you're going to be yeah. making dinner together, well, then it's, make his dinner it's his birthday. No, it's his birthday. He can relax. It's his birthday. Uh, it sounds like a lovely even, evening, but I don't think it's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. It's unbelievably sweet. Okay, you know what? It, you know what it is. It sounds very normal. It sounds very normal. Yeah, it kind of does. For two people normal. who probably aren't very normal yep. because of their life circumstances. It sounds like a very normal birthday for most people. The highest, rate, highest paid running back in the NFL turning 26. And uh, he's just hanging out at home, taking a snooze on the couch with Oliver Sprinkles. Well, I'm glad he's napping. He needs to preserve that body. Make sure he's healthy. Oh, he preserved it last season. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just making sure he's healthy. Well, someone who didn't preserve their body, Randy, is James Hunt. Uh, he was a Formula One icon. He won the 1976 F1 World Championship title. Uh, he passed away in 1993, sadly. Uh, just age 45. Gone too That's soon. Suffering a heart attack. Now, don't ask me how 
I stumbled across this story. Uh, I'll just tell you, it was in the New York Post. I always like to look in the New York Post for stories because uh, Randy loves the celebrity gossip. Mm -hmm. And I just stumbled across this one. So he is rumored, the late, great James Hunt, to have bedded 5,000 women during his 45 years on earth. So I did the math. Let's just say he started at age 15. Okay, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah, so 30 years. That's about 166 women per year or 13 per month. Take it or leave it. You're surprised he had time to do anything else. Yeah, I'll take that. This was before apps, before social media. I mean, he had to go out and meet these women. That takes time. Even Deshaun Watson wasn't that prolific. We're not going there. No, no, (laughs) no. I mean, in terms of numbers. Uh, Now, Uh -uh. according to Mm -mm. uh, Will Chamberlain, he was more prolific. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to say that he didn't pull that off. I just don't know how you have the time to be an F1 champion if you're trying to find, pursue, and bet 166 women a year. That's really impressive. And no, I don't think you can do it. I don't think that you have the time. Leave it. Yeah, much like Will, the math just it, the math doesn't check out. I'm sorry, no, but I'm not saying you're not. I'm not saying you know. Even if you got halfway there, congratulations. I'm not saying you're not Mac out there, but like the math yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. What do we have on the text line? Take it or leave it. Steph comes back healthy, but the Warriors still lose this series. Leave I'm gonna it. leave it. I don't think he's healthy. I'm with you. I don't think he does. I think the Warriors lose this series pretty much no matter what. The Celtics are the better team. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals' experiments with T.J. McFarlane and Packy Naughton have run their course, and they should not continue any further. I'm going to leave that because I don't know who you put in in place of them. I think I'd rather have T.J. McFarland in my bullpen because he showed me something last year mm-hmm. than Packy, who really has not, at least at this level, has not shown us what McFarland did last year. But... I don't know who you plug in if you get rid of both of those guys. I would take half of it because double play TJ last year was really effective yeah. for the Cardinals. So I wouldn't give up on him too soon. But I just don't know if you're going to get much more from Packy. For all the money in my pocket, could you explain to me what the Cardinals think about Jake Woodford? Because I have zero clue. They like him, but they just don't like the way his slider is performing right now. And they did when he made the five starts down the stretch last year. Something is amiss with the slider, and they're just trying to get it more on an even plane so that it slides away from right-handed hitters. All right. All right. Take it or leave it. You're crazy to blame DJ for making $125 million just to sign a piece of paper. He made more signing his name than Tiger did his entire career and tour earnings. I don't begrudge anybody going for the money. But in terms of his golf legacy, that's over. So, no, I'm not going to blame him for taking the money. I'm just saying that in terms of competitive golf, his career came to an end when he did sign his name. I'm going to leave that because this is not just him signing on to play anywhere. It's with people who have committed human rights atrocities. Mm -hmm. That's who he's working for. I don't begrudge anyone for wanting to take the money. I get it. You just earned more money in one minute than you did your entire career three times over. I understand that thought process, but you also are putting a lot on the back burner from a morality standpoint. Well, and see, that's the difference, is that you care, and he doesn't. Well, probably because I'm a woman. Right. Probably because I'm a woman. But I think anybody who... I mean, nobody can... I don't think anybody with any moral compass that works is saying, you know what, I want to go to work for these people who murdered a journalist and cut him up with a bandsaw. Uh, 
It's not just it's gay people. They've they've killed gay people. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's so a lot. It's it's that is just the the crimes against humanity that have been committed in that country, whether it is by MBS or before him. And he says he's softening things, and he and he is, and it's still bad. It's just not a group of people that I don't think most normal people would want to associate with or or be at the mercy of because you're being paid by them. Royal families are weird. I was going to say that. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals have at least one sweep during this homestand, so it's three games against the Reds and four games against the Pirates. I'm We're on to Cincinnati. So you're taking it? Yeah. I'm going to leave it. Hmm. I think they take two of three from the Reds and three of four from the Pirates. Okay. I wish they would sweep one and or both, but coming off a sweep of Tampa, I, I just don't know if I can go. If I don't, I don't know if I can go there, just as one. our friend Spags would yeah. say. Yeah, we'll we'll bounce back here. We'll get the Reds. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals' starting rotation is one injury away from being where they were last June. Oh, don't even put that even. I'm going to leave that. Now, last June, it. you've got Wayno, but then you've got Carlos Martinez, you've got John Gant, you've got Johan Oviedo. And you've got Daniel Ponce de Leon. I'm, I'm, I would argue that both Michaelis, or all three, Michaelis, uh, Wainwright, Hudson, are infinitely better than those four that I just listed. Also, the offense didn't show up at all in the no. month of June. Right. So there was no run support for anyone last June. So I would say even if you have another injury to the rotation, which would be very difficult to overcome. Hopefully the offense is going to produce enough to never put you in a situation like you were last year. Right. I don't know if we've done this fun fact yet. John Lackey retired. Wade LeBlanc retired. Jay Happ retired. Andrew Miller retired. Uh, KK essentially retired. Went back to the, uh, the, the Korean League. You had five left-handers on your staff last year that aren't in Major League Baseball this year. Wow. And kudos to the Cardinals for getting the most out of those guys. Yeah, they did. <laughs> right. And there's a couple more pitchers that were on that staff. I don't believe Daniel Ponce de Leon is in organized ball right now. All right, guys. The check from Mo's going to clear. Calm down. 17 in a row, baby. Playoffs. Speaking of which, take it or leave it. The Cardinals are in first place by at least two games by the All-Star break. I'm going to leave that. I know Greg Amzinger says that the Cardinals are going to be in first place, but I am going to leave that. I'm going to take it. I like that. Positive. And by the way, the or the uh, the Brewers, their starting pitching is not what it was last year. So they're absolutely a vulnerable team. Thanks, Matthew. And Josh Hader is human, apparently. Yeah, which is a good thing to know. Doesn't look like it, but <laughs> You're apparently, welcome, apparently he is. Uh, next up, huge news yesterday from the XFL, but where's it going? Good call. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. It's 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, great news yesterday from the XFL, XFL 2023. It's allegedly going to be back. As a matter of fact, yesterday they named the coaches for all eight teams. 
And they named the offensive and defensive coordinators for all eight teams. Mm -hmm. And they named the personnel people for all eight teams. You want to know where your St. Louis team is, who they're going to have? I would love to know. Would love to know. Michelle, I can't tell you. I can't even tell you if there's going to be a St. Louis team. They didn't do that part. So they did name their head coaches officially. People like Reggie Barlow and Anthony Becht, Jim Hazlitt, Terrell Buckley, Wade Phillips, Bob Stoops, Rod Woodson, and Hyden Ward. So those are your head coaches. You've got your personnel guys. You've got your offensive and defensive coordinators. You just don't know where they're going to live. You don't know where they're... Well, I think they're going to live in Dallas, actually. But you don't know where they're going to play. You don't know where they're going to coach. And I kind of get the sense that we might not have a ton of community involvement with the head coaches and players. And I don't understand the thought process behind that. I know that having them condensed to one city and maybe not having to absorb as much travel will be something that might save them money in the long yeah, term. They're thinking to, about this from an economic standpoint. I, I want to explain this in case people don't know. The belief is that the teams will practice in Dallas at one practice facility and then fly into their cities to just play their games. All right. Sorry. No, that's all right. Um, but I don't understand that. Yes, from a from an immediacy standpoint, from an economic viewpoint, that might save you money. But how are you going to get fans engaged and want to show up to these games and really be emotionally and therefore financially invested in this team if they're not in the cities? And why haven't you announced the cities yet? You have less than a calendar year to drum up any sort of excitement about this league and or these teams, and you're not even letting fan bases know who their teams are going to be. It just seems like this entire rollout has been done frankly, ask backwards because mm-hmm. you should announce the cities. You should announce what the team names are going to be. Then you announce the head coach. Then you announce the coordinators. And then you start announcing players. You you gradually build excitement for a fan base. How are we supposed to know how to get involved or even care if we don't even know the Battlehawks are coming back? This is as bad as the USFL is right now because the only thing that... And by the way, at least the USFL has the excuse of being owned by Fox Sports. We know that that's a football on TV entity. Mm -hmm. Every single release that, and there are very few of them, that the XFL turns out, they have to point out that the XFL will kick off on February 18th, 2023, in partnership with his new exclusive broadcast partner, the Walt Disney Company and ESPN. Well, okay, so you're going to kick off on February 18th of 2023. Right in the heart of the NBA season, right in the heart of the NHL season that you have rights to. You have just started spring training, and they still do a little bit of baseball on ESPN, and they still have NFL every day. So you're talking about this partnership with ESPN and Walt Disney. It sounds to me like you're going to be on ESPN+. Plus, Or maybe you'll be on on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon or something like that. You're not going to get a huge audience, and it seems like it's all, this is my opinion, about being a TV show. I don't think they care about fans in the stands. I don't think they care about cities. But even if it was going to be a TV show, and that's how they're building this, is to be a TV show, you need promotion for said TV show, especially for a specific outlet that you have to pay to get. People have to pay to get ESPN+. Mm-hmm. Plus. If that's where it's going to be, hypothetically, don't you think you would be drumming up as much anticipation as possible so that people are going out and paying the money Bingo. to subscribe to ESPN Plus so that when the Battle Hawks return, they can watch the product? I get the sense that these spring football people, whether it's the USFL or the XFL, they really truly believe that 
America has an insatiable thirst for football. We have an insatiable thirst for the NFL and the Power Five. We don't have an insatiable thirst for football. You need to put a quality product that is compelling to us on our TVs. You can go all in on gambling, but that's not going to make people care. You're, you're, and especially with the XFL. Well, the, the USFL too. You're going to have to have, if you want people to be interested, a product that people can actually touch and feel. That when when you go out in the community, you're sending football players to high school football games like the Battlehawks did mm-hmm. in the past. You're out being the grand marshals in parades. You're out having signing events at Dick's Sporting Goods or Academy Airs, uh, Academy Sporting Goods so that people can actually get to know your players. And one of the good things that, that Kurt Hunsicker did was bring in a lot of Mizzou guys, a lot of local people, and they made their product accessible to the people of St. Louis. I don't get the sense that this is going to be accessible to the people of St. Louis at all. So yesterday, the XFL made an announcement. As you mentioned, uh, they announced the coaching staffs, mm-hmm. right? I would argue that we are the only market in America talking about this today. Mm-hmm. And that's because we had great affinity and affection for the Battle Hawks. They became ours very quickly. And yes, that's because of circumstance, because our NFL team was ripped out of our arms and because we wanted to prove to the world that we're a good football market. Mm-hmm. But then... From that spite and that need for revenge actually blossomed a pretty good love affair with yeah. this team. We actually kind of fell in love with them. We fell in love with Kaka. We loved the players. The players love St. Louis. I was on the field interviewing them. They loved the fans here in St. Louis. They loved the the response they would get from the grocery store, how people would yell, Kaka! Down the down the aisle, the you know, on the bread aisle from them. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. But because of that relationship that we had with this team, and by the way, it was a handful of games that we saw. That's the only reason we're talking about it because we don't have an NFL team and because we love that team. No one else in the country is talking about the XFL today and that's because they don't even know what markets they need to tap into. If you knew that these teams are going to be in New Orleans or Dallas or Tampa Bay, St. Louis, and then you announce the coaching staff, that's a built-in segment for people like us. That's something that people who want to buy tickets can get excited about. They're going to start Googling Anthony Beck or whomever their head coach is going to be. They're missing a massive opportunity to get media to talk about this in the respective cities and right. therefore get fans interested and engaged. I want to add two quick things. Number one, I do believe the previous incarnation of the Battle Hawks was able to ride the wave of hatred for Kroenke that I don't think will exist next spring. No. There, a lot of that was to prove to Stan Kroenke that he made the wrong move in moving the Rams out of St. Louis. That's why people were there, because they were intense. They were invested in that hatred. I don't believe that that's as strong as it was. And then the other thing is, and this is a bigger issue, is that there's going to be an established team in place for them to compete against on the very dates that they're playing in the MLS franchise, which is accessible to St. Louisans. We're already watching City 2 play. We've already got kids from St. Louis that are part of the program. And we, we've got a general manager. We've got a coach. We've got an ownership that we adore. A beautiful new stadium. Yeah, right. So that's what the XFL is going to have to compete against. Less passion to prove somebody wrong and more passion for a competitor that has done things the right way. And a soccer hotbed, by yeah. the way. We actually love the the product that we're going to be seeing. Yeah, it's, it's just... 
a false start. I just mm-hmm. don't know what they're doing. And as somebody that loved the Battlehawks and wants to see them succeed, I'm just kind of scratching my head, yeah. Randy, and, and I'm a little frustrated because I just can't understand from a business standpoint how this is beneficial to them. No, I I really don't think they care about the markets as much as they care about their TV contract. But they should understand that without fans, you don't have anything. Right. I, you don't ha- you're not going to get ratings and you're not going to get advertisers and you're certainly not going to get butts and seats. That's all that matters. I think we can both agree that their approach here doesn't seem to be a logical one. <laughs> and if you're not having the teams be in those cities, then you're not going to have people who know how to build that fan base market to market. Like Kurt Hunzecker mm-hmm. was a St. Louis person. He understood how to tap into the desires of the St. Louis football right. fan. Think about all of the town halls and conferences and ways that he engaged with the fans before we even had a game. He wanted to build a game day experience for St. Louis. And that's part of the reason why we loved it, because they had the competing high school bands, north, south, yeah. east, west. He knew that high, high, where you went to high school is a very important thing in St. Louis, and that having high school bands there would bring a certain game day feel, but also bring people who wanted to show support for, for those bands. I I just, I, I don't know. I think that you're missing a very important key to all of this, which is that you need to curate a team based on the market that they're in. Yeah, they're already behind the eight ball. It'll be interesting to see if they can correct the problems that uh, apparently be uh, appear to be at least inherent early on because they might not last a season. If, if it goes this way, the way it's gone so far, they're only eight months away from kickoff. They might not last a season, just like the last incarnation. Let's hope they do, though, because yeah. we want to yell caca again. Caca. We really do. We, we really, really do. do. Yep. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals did get swept by Tampa, but I've got a little statistic that tells you it's not as bad as you might think. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's Big Thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Michelle, as we know, the Cardinals just got swept by the Tampa Bay Rays. And a lot of people are up in arms, as they should be, because... The Cardinals should never lose three in a row. By the way, the 1982 Cardinals, mm-hmm. actually, this team's lost four in a row. 1982 Cardinals, 40 years ago, they never lost more than three games in a row. They really? had eight separate three-game losing streaks, but never had a four-game losing streak. So the level of depression in St. Louis was not as high that year. Sounds like it, yeah. Pretty consistent ball club. This club, obviously, is on a little bit more of a roller coaster. But I will tell you this. The Cardinals losing three in a row in Tampa and only scoring six runs is not a complete disaster. The last time the New York Yankees played the Tampa Bay Rays, they scored five runs in their last three games against Tampa. The Yankees are the the best, highest scoring, most prolific slugging team in baseball this year. I, I think we have a tendency, because they are the Rays, to and, and they don't have big names, we have a tendency to underrate them, but they're going against the big boys, and they're succeeding in, against the big boys too, and I think it's kind of disingenuous, it, it would have been for me to go in and think, okay, well, they're going to handle Tampa because they're Tampa. 
Tampa's pretty good every year. And the Cardinals getting swept by them. That's one of those things that's just going to happen in, in baseball. Scoring five runs against them in a series, you'd like to score more, but they're actually a pretty good ball club, and they're going to have a lot of series. Tampa is where they only allow five or six over the course of a three-game series. Sure, Tampa is better than we're probably giving them credit for. But if we're thinking that the Cardinals are a legit playoff team and potentially a legit World Series contender, you shouldn't be getting swept by Tampa. Yeah, you should probably win a game there. Especially if Miles Michaelis has an eight-inning complete game. Your offense should do enough to help him out. And the offense, as great as Goldie was in May, things have not been as good in June for Paul Goldschmidt. Nolan Arenado has not been as bad as he was in May. But at some point, Michelle, you need those two big boys in the middle of your lineup. You need both of them to get hot at some point. And I don't know if as Cardinals they've ever been hot together. I wonder how many times collectively that phrase has been uttered in St. Louis. If Arnado and Goldie could just get hot at the same time, what would this offense be? How many times have we said that? We've been waiting for that for a hot minute. Right. And I don't know. I, I You wonder why it is that it hasn't happened. By the way, when you look at, and this isn't to say that Goldie has been bad in June. He's just... He was unbelievable in May. He's got an eight eight thirty OPS in in June, and he's cooled off. He he had a one point. Well, there's only one place to go right, when right. you're there. Yeah, you're going when, to naturally cool. Off. Exactly a one point two eight eight OPS. So I'm not saying he's bad. I don't want anybody to get that idea. He just hasn't been as hot as he was in May. And then you look at Arenado, and at some point, he's got to bounce back, right? And and I hope that his thing isn't. When you go for more than a month and you're you're cold, it does cause some consternation on the part of Cardinal fans. And, and I don't think that the Cardinals can win if neither of those guys is hot. If neither of them is hot? Yeah, if neither of them is hot, I don't think the Cardinals... I think that's why they scored five runs over three games in Tampa. Yeah, that's very difficult to overcome. I just... I imagine a lot of Cardinals fans are listening to us, Randy, and they're frustrated because they're like, here we go again. These This is what always happens. If... Goldie and Arenado could get hot at the same time. What could this offense be? If Tyler O'Neill can come back healthy and return mm-hmm. to the form we saw him down the stretch last year, what would the complexity of this Cardinals team look like? If Jack Flaherty comes back and he's healthy and he can be the Jack Flaherty that he's been projected to be for all of these years, we can go back to last year. If Alex Reyes can be healthy, if Jordan Hicks can be a starter, it just seems like there's always some sort of if that Cardinals fans are asked to put a lot of stock into. And I know every team at some point is asking you to put hope and certain things to play out but I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from for Cardinals fans is because it seems like there's always something that if it clicks and if it goes right we're going to see the result that we want and a lot of times you don't really get it yeah they're they're walking a fine line and they expected that Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson were going to be able to build upon what they did last year in the second half of the season clearly they haven't so that's hurt the ball club they Wrongly, even before the season, we were saying this, they wrongly expected Paul DeYoung to bounce back to being the offensive performer that he was. Now, have they gotten good work out of Tommy Edmond? Yes. Have they gotten good work out of the minor leaguers? Yes. You look now at their OPSs at catcher. I mean, Joey Bart just got sent out, got sent down by San Francisco, and he's got a better OPS than both Molina and Andrew Kisner, who's fallen off pretty substantially offensively. So when I... The point I'm making here mm-hmm. is that the Cardinals really only have three offensive players right now. It's 
Tommy Edmond, it's Paul Goldschmidt, it's Nolan Arenado. They're not rookies. Brendan Donovan's hitting well. Yepes is, but when from the beginning of the season, if you look at the outfield, it hasn't been O'Neill, hadn't been there. Carlson hasn't been there. DeYoung hasn't been there. The catchers haven't been there. From the and I won't say that Harrison Bader has been anything unexpected, high or low. He's been what we expected, but he's your number eight or nine hitter. So three impact. Yeah, he plays his role. Right, right. Three impact offensive players have been what you expected they would be at the beginning of the season. And thank goodness for Brendan Donovan and Yepes coming up and doing what they've done so far. Yeah, thank goodness for the for the young guns because they have had an infusion of production and energy. But I also look at this, Randy, and I think historically the Cardinals have been a second-half team. And if they can just take care of business versus the Reds and the Pirates and put themselves in a good position, finish out the month of June strong, put themselves in a good position to take the division either be- right before the All-Star break or right after the All-Star break and then never look back, we know... Again, if they historically perform the way that we've seen these recent Cardinals teams perform, they're going to get hot down the stretch and put themselves in a, in a playoff position and hopefully be hot enough to make a true postseason run. If you've observed carefully over the last 15 years, you know that Bill DeWitt and John Mozeliak are really big picture thinkers. They they aren't day-to-day thinkers. Yeah, macro, not micro. Totally. And that's why the Cardinals regularly succeed in August and September. That's why you saw Drew Verhagen on Tuesday night. Yeah, Tuesday night. And you didn't see Helsley throwing 23, 24 pitches or Gallegos throwing 23, 24 pitches because they're thinking about August and September. They aren't necessarily thinking about just July or June 7th. They're thinking about the effect that June 7th could have on August and September. And that has been a philosophy that, for better or worse, in terms of making the playoffs, has worked for them. And if you are truly thinking about August and September, then I want to see an aggressive trade deadline. Got to be. I I want this to be the season where there is a sense of urgency to get it done. Michelle, I'm already, I'm a step ahead of you. Okay, tell me. I want this. I want this. At the deadline. Oh, you've already thought of names. I want Mad Bum in my rotation, and I want Ian Kennedy in my bullpen. Whoa. Yep. I want the best postseason pitcher of our time he's in my rotation. He's a horse. Yep. And he's having Mason a, a decent Bring year. Him in. Right. Bring him in. And he is a horse. I mean, he's just, he's going to give you starts. He's going to give you innings. And, and he looks just way, like Adam Wainwright. And that is just so historically Cardinals. Look at what happened last year with John Lester and, and Jay yeah. Happ. They thought, oh, those guys are washed up. Yep. They're just going to eat innings. And then they come to the Cardinals and they have a resurgence. Couldn't you see Madison Bumgarner coming to the Cardinals and oh, totally. absolutely looking dominant? Yep, looking like he did in postseasons with yes. San Francisco. And then Ian Kennedy, who has been around, you know, he has thrown now for 16 years in the majors. And he is, let me get his age, he's 37, so he's kind of like the quintessential Cardinal late season bullpen pickup. But if you look at his last few years, minus, I don't count the the COVID year of 2020, but a couple of good years with the, the Royals out of the bullpen, and then last year with Texas and Philly, he had a 3.20 ERA in 55 games. Uh, this year, 3.57 ERA in 25 games. He can be one of those. He's not going to be your closer, mm-hmm. but he can give you innings in the 6th or 7th before you get to Gallegos, Helsley, 
hopefully Hicks and Cabrera down there. You want to know what one of my favorite things about our city is? Is that the Cardinals are a half game back from the Brewers, and they're coming up on two series where they should absolutely feast. And we're already talking about the trade deadline and to August and September and the postseason. It, the expectations are just different. Yeah. You get swept by the Rays, and you would think that the Cardinals are in the basement of the NL Central. Right. I, the, I yeah. love that we care this much and that the expectations are so high. Yeah, me too. I love it. And by the way, does Mike Hazen take Moe's call? Because Luke Weaver's not that great, and Carson Kelly's not that great, and Andrew Young is not that great, and Paul Goldschmidt is Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, Goldie is Goldie. I would be curious as to what he wanted, so I would take the call. I would, too. I'd know. I, just like if Doug Armstrong's calling me, I know I'm probably going to get hosed, but I'm going to pick up the phone. Yeah, I think so. And by the way, the Cardinals, they need to pick up that. You talk about going for it. They need to pick up that Mad Bum contract. And he's got, I believe, two years left after this one so that they don't have to pay a lot in terms of prospects. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall to hear Army and or Mo negotiate? I want to know yeah. what the process is like. Does Mo finesse the guy in the phone a little bit? Oh, how are you doing? How are the mm-hmm. kids? What have you been? How you been hitting them lately? How or do you just go right into business? Here's what I'm offering. Take it or leave it. Does he operate from a place of strength? Does he butter him up? I want to know the process. I think Mo probably does butter him up a little bit. I think Army probably gets to the substance of the conversation a little bit more quickly. But I think both of them, this is a great thing, and it's an old Dick Vermeil line. You can't have a gotta have. So Paul Goldschmidt's out there. You're willing to walk away. Nolan Arenado's out there. They offer $25 million to send. No, you see, we got to have 51 Sorry. So, so you get your 51 But you never let the other person know that you got to have a guy. Can't have a gotta have. Okay. If we could bet on this on FanDuel Sportsbook, download the app, promo code SMALLS. If we could bet on this, I would bet an, an enormous amount of money on this. Don't you think Doug Arm... So when we used to do a weekly hit with Gary Pinkle when he was the mm-hmm. head coach of the Mizzou football team, every week when we would say goodbye to him, he would hang up. He would never say goodbye. Yeah. He would just click, hang up. Mm-hmm. I would bet almost every dollar I have, Army pinkles everyone. Army does not say goodbye, take care, have a great day. Army's like, we're done talking, click. You're he, a does, yeah. he does not say goodbye. He is, we're out here. I wish that we could bet on that because I guarantee you that with Army, people get pinkled. No doubt. Yeah. And that's probably part of the reason he's so intimidating because it's like, yep. you're in, you're out, info, click. And it's done. not rude. It's just who he is. And it's it's not even brusque. It's just who he is. He doesn't have time to say goodbye to you. He's wheeling and dealing. <laughs> That's right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner... Joe Listener, and in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Friday, Friday edition of the fight here on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 8:38 in St. Louis. The time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Brave Soul. Who's taking on Randy Carricker in the fight today is Landon, who's joining us now. Good morning, Landon. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Are you ready to take on Randy? 
I'm going to give it a shot. Yes, you are. Good luck to you, Landon. Question number one. The Cardinals were known for just one season as the St. Louis Perfectos in 1899. What was the franchise known what was the franchise known as from 1883 until 1898? Is it the St. Louis Maroons, the St. Louis Browns, or the St. Louis Red Stockings? The Browns. Sandy Alcantara is the third different pitcher in the last 10 seasons to put together a six-game stretch with at least seven innings pitched and allowing one or less runs. Clayton Kershaw has done it three times. Who is the other pitcher to do it? Was that Jake Arrieta, Madison Bumgarner, or Ubaldo Jimenez? Can you say it one more time? Seven innings of what? Six-game streak with at least seven innings pitched while allowing one or less runs. Kershaw did it three times. Who is the other one to do it? Jake Arrieta, Madison Bumgarner, or Ubaldo Jimenez? I'm going to say Arrieta in that Cy Young year. Uh, Happy birthday to Dan Fouts. Fouts played his entire pro career for the San Diego Chargers. What team did he play his college football for? USC, Washington, or Oregon? Washington. What is it called when you get a hole-in-one on a par five? Is that a condor, a turkey, or double albatross? A double albatross. We have the same score. We have confirmed it. <laughs> Randy, you know, is if, coming we, in. if we would ever get that wrong when it's, four, it's when it's just four questions, I it's feel happened. like that's that'd be not a good look for us oh, in our Randy. basic reading comprehension and things. It, it has happened prior to you, <laughs> where there was a discrepancy. Uh, Did you th- check the tape? We just rolled with it. Randy, say good morning to Landon. Landon, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yourself? Everything's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate you tuning in. Landon, where'd you call? Absolutely. Where are you calling from? Where are you from? Uh, Redbud, Illinois. Shout out to the ill side. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Landon. Played some softball in Redbud in my day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The way Michelle shot up in her chair as soon as I she heard Redbud. I got to tell you, I love the 618ers. Love my ill side people. Are you 618 <laughs> in Redbud? Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. 618ers. There you go. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Randy, being an Illinois person in a Missouri world, it's tough. It really is tough. People are like, where'd you go to high school? I'm like, oh, I'm from the Illinois side. They're like, never mind. No one cares. Wow, really? Yeah, I can't determine. They can't determine my wealth by by my high school. They, they don't care. Why don't you just go Because that's all with, that it is, uh, is deciding how rich you are. Like all state uh, defender of the year in soccer at I was Belleville a striker. I was a striker. Okay, yeah. well, <laughs> all state striker of the year in Illinois. Isn't that what it is, by the way, when you guys all ask each other, where'd you go to high school? You're trying to find out where you're from and what type of money you it's have. It's a total socioeconomic thing, it's yeah. It's so weird that you guys do that. Mm-hmm. It is. Over on our side, Landing, mm-hmm. you can confirm this. If someone asks where you went to school, you give them your college, right? That's what I would say. I went to Illinois. I'm a right. Parkway North well, Viking. I didn't go to college, so I wouldn't give them nothing. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Landon. to there figure out who I know from your year. <laughs> sure, and sure. And other things. You're like, oh, you went to DeSmet? Mm, great. Okay, whatever. By the way, Parkway North opened, I think, in 1976 and has never won a state basketball or football championship never not once yeah is that just to throw shade uh, myself in my school oh that's your school yeah okay so Cree, of course parkway mean streets you yeah. got it yeah okay yep. well i'm sorry that you've never won it's a tough life it is it's tough but you know it gives us reason to rap <laughs> that's true it allows you to pursue other interests yeah <laughs> okay randy are you ready ready 
to fight. One of those interests is sports and sports trivia. The Cardinals were known for just one season as the St. Louis Perfectos in 1899. What was the franchise known as from 1883 until 1896? 1898, excuse me. I'm going to go with the St. Louis Browns. Sandy Alcantara is the third different pitcher in the last 10 seasons to put together a stretch of six games with seven innings pitched while allowing one or less runs. Clayton Kershaw has done it three times in that 10-year stretch. Who is the other pitcher to do it? I'm just going to go Scherzer. I'm just going to play logic here. Happy birthday to Dan Fouts. He played his entire pro career for the San Diego Chargers. Where did he play his college football? San Diego Superchargers. I believe he was an Oregon Duck. Came in here one time, and he was hurt. Don Coriel, one of his few times playing the... uh, Cardinals here in St. Louis as coach of the Chargers. And the Chargers started a guy named Ed Luther. And uh, Hanny and uh, the, the football Cardinals, a pretty good day. Pretty good day against Ed Luther. Randy, what is it called when you get a hole-in-one on a par five? Hole-in-one on a par five? <laughs> That's what the man said. Wow. I'll, t- I'll do the old uh, lifeline here, big boy. Is it a condor, a turkey, or a double albatross? <laughs> okay, so I always thought that an albatross was a double eagle, right? When you get a two on a par five. So if you get a hole in one, and that is an albatross, right? It wasn't a double eagle, it's an albatross. I'm not going to go double al- albatross, so I'm going to go either condor or what's the other one? Turkey. I'm going to go condor. Turkey is for bowling. Landon and Randy, neck and neck on a Friday. One person squeaked it out three to two. Mm. Is it my beloved co-host, Randy Carricker, or my ill-side brother, my 618-er, and Landon? This is tough because, you know, I want both of you to win. Thank you. I wish I could give out participation trophies to both, but I can't do that. Darn it. I didn't know it was a condor double albatross. Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Just win, baby. I am the champion. I am number one. Now, who can argue with that? I can't. You won. Landon, so sorry. He came down to the final question. Randy got it right. You didn't. I'm sorry. Say that again, Landon. Your mic wasn't on. I wasn't quite confident going into it, but he uh, when he said Scherzer on that question, I, I thought I might have had it. I know. Scherzer was not an option, mm. <laughs> which we'll tell you later, Randy. Well, Landon, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much. He's a winner because he's from the 618. Yes, right. So uh, the St. Louis Perfectos. That's what the Cardinals were known as in 1899. I guess they didn't like that name because they then changed the name to the St. Louis Browns from 1883 to 1898. Hmm. Do you know why they changed it? I don't know. Because it seems like Perfectos would be pretty good. Totally. To stick with that. To go from Perfectos to Browns? Yeah, that's not good at all. Seems like a downgrade to me. Browns, Perfectos, Cardinals. Oh, yes, yes. Browns, Perfectos, Cardinals. Yeah, why would you? Why? Oh, yeah. So why would you go away from Perfectos? Yeah, because exactly. That, 
that yeah. connotes perfection. Browns to perfectos is a fantastic switch. Yeah. Is this where our expectations started for the Cardinals? Probably expecting you guys them at to be one perfect. point were named perfectos. Yep. <sighs> Sandy Alcantara is the third different pitcher in the last 10 seasons to put together a six-game streak with at least at least seven innings pitched while allowing one or less runs. Kershaw did it three times. Jake Arrieta also did it. Oh, okay. Who were the other choices? Mad Bum, Ubaldo Jimenez. I would have gone probably with uh, Arrieta the year he, he had. 2016? Guess so. 15. 15, okay. At least on the sheet here. Yeah, that, yeah it, was, okay, it, was, it was his last, six of his last seven games of the year. Yeah, August 30th through September 27th. Happy birthday to Dan Fouts. He played his entire pro career for the San Diego Chargers, and he played his college football at Oregon, and it's called a condor when you get a hole-in-one on a par five. Impressive. I've, I've, I've never seen that before. All I do is win, <laughs> win, win, no matter what. Win, 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 win. You good job, good effort at him. Get your popcorn ready. Yeah. Yikes. We're on to Cincinnati. I am the champion. Why did you throw in a we're on to Cincinnati? Because we are. We finished that one? We're on to next one? week. We're on to next week. That's a good call. That maybe is a new Friday deal for you. Yep. Clean hey. sweep this week, right? I believe that is the case, yeah. Hey, coming up, there is a, a very funny comedian in town, and Brandon Iyer is going to join us. He'll be in studio with us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we welcome to the studio Brendan Ayer. He's going to be appearing at the Westport Funny Bone over the course of the weekend, tonight, tomorrow. And you can go to uh, just Google uh, St. Louis Funny Bone and get the tickets at the Westport Funny Bone. Brendan Ayer, good to meet you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. I love coming to St. Louis. I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, we're excited about it. First thing I got to ask is uh, you said you you mentioned you were playing pickleball with our buddy Greg Warren, very funny guy. You, man, one of the great people in America. And then uh, Chris Convey. What do you think of Chris Convey? Chris Convey? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's on the... Uh, uh, the, the, the on competing... Uh, yeah, he's on the uh, on the Courtney show. And Courtney's very funny, and Brando's very funny over and there. Do, and, you, and do they go up against you guys time-wise? Yeah. They do. Then I hate Chris Convey. There you go. Thank you very much. I, I don't care. <laughs> that guy who yesterday I considered one of my closest friends, he means nothing to me. <laughs> Thanks, Brendan. The, my, okay. my friends are in this room. I've got beef with Convey. Yeah, man. they do. They have beef. So can you tell us something? that Randy can use against him? Uh, he is very good at pickleball and a nice man. So if you can find a way to I turn keep, that against so him, good do, luck. Do you ever watch uh, Nikki Glazer's show? Because I give him trouble all the time about getting ready to get married to Nikki. Uh, I, I don't watch it uh, because uh, my, my good buddy Andrew Collin is, uh, is uh, he opens for Nikki uh-huh. uh, and he's on, right, the he's show, on the show. Yeah. And he's a really good friend of mine and, uh, and so uh, it annoys me watching him on the show. I don't, <laughs> He's on a show. I get it. I don't know why. I'm just like, ah, I know you in real life. I don't really care to see you again. We just talked on the phone. You know, I don't need to watch you on E. Uh, so I haven't seen the show. I understand. But I hear it's wonderful. And I love Nikki. I love Chris, uh, except for today. But uh, yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, but it's a weird thing because you're, you're from Cleveland. 
like when the Drew Carey show was on. We just like seeing shots of our town on TV, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. one of those things. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that was kind of Cleveland. That's what people think of. They think of. Uh, uh, basically, they think we watch the Drew Carey show every day, <laughs> pray to LeBron James, you know, uh, throw garbage in the lake and set our river on fire and, and go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice yeah. a week. That's Wait, about you don't do that? Think. You don't that? do that? What? Yeah. Oh, what? no, we do do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. our daily routine. Yeah, don't tell me that Cleveland doesn't rock because yeah. that's what I grew up knowing. Yeah, no, we, we, we that's all we do is, is rock and eat pierogies. Uh, yes. That's, that's, that's Cleveland, yeah. Okay, well, you mentioned mentioned LeBron James that you guys all pray at the altar of LeBron James yeah. and I know you do too because I was looking at your Twitter feed last night and you actually tweeted at LeBron you said I'm a big fan I'm going to be doing stand-ups at, at Cuyahoga Halls uh, Falls excuse me on New Year's Eve you said that if LeBron we retweeted you you could hook him up with a free appetizer <laughs> yeah and I was willing to go as far as maybe even a free app and 10% off what? ticket prices yeah and he did he didn't show which I thought what was crazy and you know the uh, a few years ago I was in St. Louis uh, and the Blues had just won the cup mm -hmm. and uh, what year was that? 2019. Yeah so I was here. Like right I, now it's like I, two right, days from now. I was here the week they won the cup and I tweeted at those guys too and I said look I can probably get you a discounted ticket if you show up and not a single guy it's weird you know that's so, kind of lame on yeah their part. a little lame yeah a little lame but yeah i i love lebron i i, I you, some people have this lingering anger towards him and it's like to me you know he left when he was a young guy maybe didn't make the best choice but he came back he won us a championship that's all we could ask for i i'm i was happy with that and he went on to pursue his career in the way he wanted. That's I'm, I have no problem with that. Did you ever hear Caliendo's piece on Mike and Mike? With it was Morgan Freeman reading his essay coming back to Cleveland. Great, one of the funniest things ever. Oh, it was great. Okay, so take me through your emotional roller coaster with LeBron. I'm always fascinated by Cavs fans because. I think most of them are at peace now with LeBron because he did, in fact, come home and yeah. win. Did you hate him when he left? No, I didn't hate it. Well, here's an interesting thing. So um, I my first ever paid comedy show was at a bar in Cleveland. First time I ever got paid to do comedy, which is a big thing because for a while you're an open mic or nobody's paying you, you know, and it was probably 20 bucks or something. But um, it's at this bar and it's the night of the announcement. Uh, uh, the decision? The decision. It's the night of the decision. And so the oh, bar, no. the comedy show's going on, and uh, the bar goes, okay, the bartender goes, okay, okay, we got to stop the show. The decision is on. Oh. They turn the decision on. You know, he does this whole spiel, and he says, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. TV off. The host goes, ladies and gentlemen, Brendan Aaron. No! <laughs> I, I literally have to come up to the news that, like, the savior of our city oh has... Because nobody in Cleveland... Mm. In Cleveland, we were all like, well, of course he's staying, because if he was leaving, it wouldn't be a television show. Yeah, he wouldn't, he go, wouldn't on go on national TV. TV. That's crazy. If he right. was leaving, it'd be quiet. Yeah, and, Judas you know, isn't going to broadcast it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I didn't hate him. I think, I think a lot of people were uh, upset, me included, that it, we were like... You know, you could have done that in a better way. You, you mm -hmm. could have, you, there was a classier way to leave. But also, 
he was a young guy, and he was a guy who had been on the cover of Sports Illustrated at like fourteen. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like I was kind of a jerk when I w- was that age, and I wasn't famous. So you know, I I I I under I, I it's hard to hold that against yeah. him. And he came back, and he Cleveland is a championship starved city yeah. so i mean we we haven't had a lot so he came back we won that one and it, he's all good in my book so did he kill it that night though how was the crowd uh, the crowd was uh sparse <laughs> and sad and probably no, drunk I too not, I got, I, but i got my 20 bucks <laughs> there you go and i sat in my car and looked at it and go okay maybe i can do something with this comedy <laughs> also you probably will never have a worse crowd than you did that night or at least oh, a, a, you, a more mean, melancholy you've crowd you've never been to little rock uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually have. <laughs> Brendan Ayer is at the Funny Bone this weekend, the Funny Bone at Westport. So we read on your website and uh, check your bio because that's our responsibility because yeah. we're going to interview you. And I'm always intrigued by, especially you guys that do observational comedy. I want to know who, when you were growing up and you decided, I want to be a comic, who influenced you? Who who did you think, that person's funny and that's why I want to do comedy? Well, I think I, I, I liked, uh, I, I, I loved... Uh Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. of course. I kind of, I kind of grew up watching Dave Chappelle, and then I liked uh, a guy, a one-liner guy named Mitch Hedberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was my favorite. Mitch Hedberg was my favorite, and he, I loved him because, uh, first of all, he was so funny. But then I found out he had stage fright, and I have stage fright. I don't like I, and which, which is weird. Maybe not the best career I chose to get into, uh, standing on Especially stages. Especially after what happened to Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, but um, so that was such an inspiration to me. So yeah, yeah, I love I, I love those guys. I loved uh, um, I love I, I love the movie Caddyshack. That was like mm-hmm. a big thing for me. But yeah, I, I just um, you know I kind of I, I soaked everything up that I could watch comedy wise yeah, when great. I was younger. Yeah, that's fun. How do you overcome your stage fright? Is it something that you still battle today? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I just um you know, I don't care anymore. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't like I, cuz I realize you realize as you get older, I go, well, you know, so I did um I did I I, I did uh late night with Seth Meyers at one time and uh I was named up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't trip. And I was I was in the back, you know, and I I was so nervous, but I realized like, well, I'm old enough to realize, like, well, what, what's the worst? Like, the worst thing that could happen is I faint, right? And if that <laughs> happens, I don't know. That's funny, you know. You're a YouTube like, it's star a, too. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. a headline. That's gonna yeah. go viral. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna die, you know. You kind of, as you get older, you realize the stakes are lower than you think. So <laughs> it's like it, nobody cares. You know, I have stage fright, and sometimes I have a little stutter on stage, but it's like. So what? You get up there and you do it, and uh, and it's fine. And it, I'm still hoping to faint. It hasn't happened <laughs> yet, but I think if I does, if it does, it will be a good yeah, a good yeah. bit. You know, yeah. should be a fun weekend at the Funny Bone at Westport. Brendan Air, get tickets today. Just Google uh, Funny Bone St. Louis and the Westport facility. And uh, looking forward to a great weekend. Thanks, Brendan. Hey, thank you guys so much. Thanks for having me. You got it, Brendan Air at the Funny Bone tonight over at Westport. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. 907 Time Check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're going to talk to ESPN NBA writer Tim Bontemps coming up in a few minutes, and then Kylie McDaniel of ESPN.com at the bottom of the hour. But right now, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls! Randy, anytime I say that Kevin Demoff is in a headline, I'm going to present it to you. And I'm sorry about that, but it's just something that I have to do. I can understand that, and I appreciate it. That's not a problem at all. Okay, good. So you know that the Rams, they are just spending fun and fancy free. They're signing Mm -hmm. everybody to a bit. They're like Oprah. You get a million-dollar, hundred-million-dollar contract. You get a hundred-million-dollar contract. You know that they signed Allen Robinson. They gave Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, and Cooper Cup all monster deals. And Kevin Demoff was asked about this. What's going on with the finances? And here's what he said. I don't know that this model in particular is sustainable forever. To me, it's not about, oh, this is the model we will always have. I think our model has been being aggressive and trying to build the best team we can build. That is sustainable. <laughs> this is from the mouth of Kevin Demoff that his model is to build the best team that he can build. Well, that was not something that they really put into effect here as the St. Louis Rams from the time he was here from 2010 through 2015. And no, I don't think it's sustainable, and especially with that franchise, because if St. Louis was any indication, Aaron Donald notwithstanding, Todd Gurley wound up being a five-year player in the NFL. When you look at the drafts that he was involved with here, they got Sam Bradford hurt. Robert Quinn wound up being a nice player. Uh, But for the most part, the Michael Brockers and Alec Ogletrees and Tavon Austins of the world, Greg Robinson, Les Need did not do a very good job of drafting. And the, the organization with their premium picks under Kevin Demoff, they were better off blanking those picks. Yeah, they did. And they, they've, they've done it actually for his career, whether it was using them, blank those picks, or trading them, blank those picks. Yeah, it really has been his calling card. Yeah. Kevin Demoff went on to say, Randy, quote, I think everybody who joined the Rams joined with this idea that we could be one of the best global sports franchises in the world. And if we want to be one of the elite teams in this city, in the world, one title doesn't get you there. So that's why they're being this mm-hmm. aggressive, because they're trying to run it back. Here is Travis Rogers from ESPN LA about the where the Rams sit right now in regards to the NFC. The AFC is probably a little deeper. There's probably more teams that you can make a compelling case that they could get to the Super Bowl this upcoming season. But you look at the NFC, and it does really feel like a three-headed monster. And I think the Rams are a little bit at the head of the pack. you got Tampa, you got Green Bay that are right behind them. But the Rams are bringing back their most important pieces from a year ago. Obviously, you know, Andrew Whitworth is gone, and Vaughn Miller is gone, and they, they lost Darius Williams. They lost Austin Corbett, a couple of starters there. But... You know, when you start with Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford and and especially Sean McVay coming back, I think they're going to be really good again. You know, to win the Super Bowl, to get to the Super Bowl, you got to get a little lucky. you got to catch a break or two along the way. And if they can catch that break, they're certainly good enough to make another run because they kept all of the most important pieces in all the most important places. Yeah, not wrong. 100% correct. And they did. The thing is, when you spend that much money on the players that they've spent on, that's going to affect your depth. Whether you have draft picks or not, you're not going to be able to pay for depth. And they have so much money tied up in Stafford, Cup, Jalen Ramsey, Donald. And you lose a guy like Andrew Whitworth. And I know that uh, they they really like their left tackle note boom. But they are not going to have depth. And the more games you play, Michelle, as we've seen here, we saw it with the greatest show on turf. 
it, it builds up and eventually injuries start to hit you. So mm-hmm. what's going to happen when injuries start to hit that franchise? I, I just I hope like hell that they do and they're terrible. The bill's coming, Randy. As Kevin Demoff said, it's not a sustainable model. They know that they have a small window to get it done. And I think it's rare self-awareness on the point of Kevin Demoff to recognize that one title is not going to get it done if they actually want to be relevant in L.A. That they're going to have to win more than one. They need to be a team that is putting out multiple championships and getting a fan base behind them. You have some very good friends that live in L.A., work in L.A., do radio in L.A., and George Sedano. It does. He's still doing mm-hmm. afternoons, right? Yeah, he did yeah. mornings. Now he does afternoons, and that is even. Actually, I think the Lakers missing the playoffs and all the drama surrounding LeBron and LeBron saying, I'd like to play for the Warriors. What do you think they're talking about on LA Sports Talk Radio today? Is it the Super Bowl champion Rams or is it the Lakers? It's Lakers all day, every day. When you have an iconic franchise, it's like the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. We could talk Cardinals 24-7-365 and people will still complain that we're not talking enough Cardinals. yeah. And that's no disrespect to the Blues or to St. Louis City SC or to the Battlehawks if they ever return. But it's just what people want to hear. Is and about the Dodgers Cardinal. are number two. Yeah, but in L.A., they want yeah. to hear about the Lakers. And by the way, if Lincoln Riley does what I think Lincoln Riley is going to do at USC, the Rams will not be the number one football program in L.A. That's right. USC will. USC is, I would say... When they're rolling, maybe even number two, maybe even number two behind the Dodgers because they have deep roots in L.A. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Randy, we talked about the Angels a lot this week. We talked about them firing Joe Madden. We talked about them trying to break this 13-game winning streak by playing Nickelback as their walk-up songs. It got to 14 consecutive games. Things were bleak, but they've done it. The Angels have broken the streak. They beat the Red Sox last night 5-2. to two. Yeah. They won one of, one of the four against Boston. Thanks to, to Shohei Otani. He was the star in that one. But it has been so long since they won a game. May 20 24th was the last time that they won a game. May 24th. At the time, they were 10 games over 500. They were only one game out of first place in the AL West. Before heading into last night, they were out of playoff position and they entered the game nine and a half games out of first place. They had a stretch like we saw the Cardinals have in June last year where it was just absolutely bleak. And they're hoping that this is the t- the turnaround for them because I don't think they're that bad. I don't think they're 14-game no. losing streak bad. No, they, they aren't. And when you think about the fact that in the modern era that the Cardinals have never had a 14-game losing streak, you have to go back to 1910 to find a 13-game losing streak for the Cardinals. It's amazing to me that in this day and age, especially for a team that actually is trying to compete, that that happened. But... It's really difficult for a team to lose 14 in a row and be competitive. Any of the Dodgers, they, they lost 14 out of 50 in a year that they won 100 games. But I just don't see the Angels, with their pitching, being able to go on a sustained streak where they can get back into a playoff spot in the American League. It's going to be tough. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, we're going to talk some NBA Finals with Tim Bontemps of ESPN.com. He's next on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Game four of the NBA Finals tonight here on 101 ESPN. Seven o'clock pregame, and one of the preeminent NBA writers in our country is Tim Bontemps of ESPN.com, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Tim, great to have you with us in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. How are you doing? Everything's great. And as you might imagine, because we are in St. Louis, our main focus in the NBA Finals is Jason Tatum. I, I want to know what your impression is of what Tatum has become in the NBA in this playoff season after knocking out uh, Durant in the first round and then Giannis and then Butler and now playing in these finals. Where do you think he stands in the NBA echelon right now? I mean, look, his star is quickly rising, and, you know, the way the season has played out with him making first-team All-NBA, with him, uh, you know, as you said, taking out Kevin Durant and Yaz Tedekupo and Jimmy Butler throughout these playoffs, there's a little question that Jason Tatum is, you know, becoming a guy that's seen as a, you know, as a superstar player around the league. And certainly if the Celtics can win two more games, and won a championship, as he said himself the other day, you can debate where his status is in the league, but you won't be able to debate that he's a champion. And I think really for him, that's the focus for the next you know, week or so, is get these two more wins, get himself a championship in the NBA in the fifth season. And, you know, if he's able to do that, you start to look at his resume, he's off to a pretty special start to what's got a chance to be a pretty special career. Tim, we know that so much of what Golden State does runs through Steph Curry. He says he's going to play in Game 4 tonight despite sustaining that foot and leg injury. But if Steph isn't 100%, how does that shift the way you view Golden State and their chances against the Celtics? Well, I already think Boston is the better team, and I think if Steph is compromised in any way, I think it pretty much sinks Golden State's chances of winning this series. Uh, If you look at the way these first three games have played out, it's really been Steph breaking... Boston's defense, which is probably the best that I've ever seen in my time covering the league, um, in ways that Giannis and Kevin Durant and Jimmy Butler could not because of his ability to shoot the three and and really get uh, Boston's bigs moving all over the place. If he doesn't have that same burst and same energy uh, because of that foot injury, uh, I really think Golden State's in a ton of trouble. So I, I am fascinated to see what he looks like from the jump, and I and I really hope that he's 100% because he has been the best player in the series by a pretty good amount so far and has really been fun to watch. And after all that Golden State's been through the last couple of years to get back here again, it would be a real shame if, you know, an unfortunate play, you know, just an unlucky play really, you know, a couple of guys diving for a loose ball um, would leave him compromised here for the final three or four games of this series. And it really is amazing to, to get to what you're talking about, him being the best player in the series. You have a team that has Thompson and Green and uh, Jordan Poole and, and, and Wiggins. You've got some really good players, but to have a guy who's above those guys and will make a difference in winning and losing is pretty remarkable. That, that says a lot about what Steph Curry is. Well, look, I mean, you asked before about where Jason Tatum is at in his career. I mean, Steph Curry is one of the 10 or 12 greatest players in the history of the NBA. And, you know, that's the kind of air that, you know, Jason Tatum by the end of his career, you know, obviously grew up idolizing Kobe Bryant. I mean, that's the kind of conversation he wants to be in, but you look at what Steph has done over the course of his career, look at what he's done over the course of this season. And, you know, he's truly one of the guys that when you think back on the history of the league, he has really changed the sport in a lot of ways. And, 
you know, for him to be doing this at 34 after, again, after everything that Golden State's been through, it's been really neat to see him back on the stage and it's been neat to see him playing at this high level. And like I said, I just really hope that his foot is okay because this has been a really fun first three games. And if he's, you know, playing at 70, 80, even 85, 90%, I think it's really going to make it hard for Golden State to make this, you know, a super competitive series. Tim, sometimes I have to remind myself that it's Ime Udoka's rookie season because he does not look like a rookie head coach in any way. The way that he uh, draws up plays, the way that he trusts Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, he just seems like he is the perfect fit for this team. He really has been a remarkable fit, and and it's really been a a pretty wild season here in Boston. I mean, you go back to mid-January, the Celtics were a 500-ish team, you know, under 500 most of the month, and... um, you know, people weren't sure if Ime was going to, you know, I shouldn't say people, you know, people would be asking me, is Ime going to be let go at the end of the season? Is this going to work? Do these guys like him? And I, I think, you know, people who were around the Celtics knew that wasn't going to be the case and that he, you know, the players really respected him and liked him. But he, he's a pretty direct guy. He, he had no problem saying publicly what he would say privately to the guys. And that was a little jarring to people. And um, I, I think he's done a really remarkable job. And, you know, I give him a ton of credit for how the season has gone because he, you know, he came in after Brad Stevens moved up to being president of basketball operations last summer. And, you know, it, it was really a situation, I think, of the, the perfect guy at the perfect time for this team. And, you know, guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart played for him with Team USA, uh, where he's an assistant coach under Greg Popovich. And they really respect him a lot. And they respect his voice a lot. And it's just, it's all really, um, it's all really come together in a remarkable way. I mean, you go back to January 21st, this team was 23 and 24. They had a, they had a 22nd ranked offense in the NBA. They were in 11th place in the East. They did not look like they, I mean, I wasn't sure they were going to be a playoff team at that point. And since that point forward, they've been the best team in the NBA by a country mile. And it's, it's just a truly remarkable thing to see happen. ESPN.com's Tim Bonteps on 101 ESPN. Tim, one more thing from me. I've always thought that the NBA, more than any other sport, was a right place at the right time league for a lot of guys, unless you're one of the uber stars. And you have a great piece up about Al Horford, who seems to me to define being in the right place at the right time, because he's been at the wrong place at the wrong time a few times, too, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, Al Horford is one of these guys who's just quietly gone through his career and been a really dependable, rock-solid guy, right? I mean, he he was on all those Atlanta Hawks teams for years that would get repeatedly drilled by LeBron James, you know, maybe the greatest player of all time in the playoffs, and then comes to Boston, keeps losing LeBron here, has a good couple years, and then, you know, when he left a couple years ago in free agency, he goes to Philadelphia for a year, that's an absolute disaster. He gets traded to Oklahoma City. He then, you know, basically plays 25 games last year and then gets sent home because they were trying to lose, and he was not helping them do that. And it was unclear a year ago what Al Horford's NBA future would look like. And for him to get traded back to Boston, a place he had played, a place he knew everybody, a place he was excited to be, and then be part of this run, and, you know, after playing more playoff games than anybody in NBA history without making the NBA Finals, he's now two wins away from a title. Um, it's been a pretty cool thing to see. And it's been cool to see how guys like Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, um, everybody on the Celtics has been universally 
happy for Al Horford and the moment he's getting to have and the success he's having. And um, I think it speaks to the kind of guy he is in the room, and it speaks to, I think, the way he has handled himself throughout his career when he's been always, you know, seen as a, a true professional. And, um, you know, again, sort of like the Warriors, it's cool to see a guy like Al who you know has done things the right way for a long time get a chance to not only be on a stage like this, but to play well also. Uh, last question, Tim. You mentioned LeBron, so I wanted to get your take on the Lakers. Do you think Darvin Ham was the right hire for them? Well, I don't know if there's a right hire in terms of like making the Lakers a championship team because I think their team is, is pretty disastrously flawed. However, I, I do think Darvin was the best choice that they could have made. And I, I think sort of like he reminds me a lot of Ime. I mean, there are two guys who have really grinded their way you know, grinded their way through their careers as players and they've grinded their way through their careers as coaches. And you know, Darwin is the kind of guy who, like Ime, is not going to be afraid to go into the room and say, you know, what needs to be said to LeBron James or Anthony Davis or Russell Westbrook or whoever. And, um, you know, I, I think that's what the Lakers need. They need somebody who's going to be able to, uh, you know, to bend that team in ways that they were not last year. Now, again... They have a ton of flaws on the roster. I am not convinced they have the wherewithal to replace, to fix those flaws. Um, I don't think the Lakers are going to be that good next year. But uh, I do think that the, the chance they have is if they can be galvanized uh, to play in a different way than they did before. And I do think Darwin has the ability to do that in a way that, uh, you know, I think not everybody that they were looking at did. Tim, great stuff. Thanks so much. Enjoy the game tonight. We appreciate your time. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. That's Tim Bontemps of ESPN.com joining Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, how good is the Cardinal player development at the moment? We're going to ask Kylie McDaniel of ESPN that very question next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And two years ago, May, we started this show. And one of the very first guests we had as Carricker and Smallman was Kylie McDaniel of ESPN. And he joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And it's always good to have Kylie talking ball in St. Louis. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Sounds like you guys make some good decisions over there. <laughs> we, we do our best. <laughs> we're, we're thrilled to have you back. Speaking of making good decisions, the Cardinals are getting good work out of people like Brendan Donovan, and they, they made the trade for Juan Yepes a few years ago when they traded Matt Adams to, uh, to Atlanta. Uh, they're getting good work out of kids, and I wanted to get an idea from you, Kylie. Uh, around the league, what's the perception of the way the Cardinals are drafting and developing these days? Yeah, we, I feel like I come back to this a lot of times when I'm on here that uh, usually there are some, you know, in vogue things that certain teams are doing, like how Cleveland drafts late round college pitchers and like turns them into prospects or the Yankees tend to take catchers and, you know, the race tend to take high school pitching. Like everyone's kind of got their thing and like, you know, six or seven teams are really good at that thing. And the Cardinals are just kind of good at everything. And, you know, they run hot and cold like everybody. But they, they tend to do, like, you know, last year they took Michael McGreevy in the first round, was the kind of guy throwing, you know, sort of sinkers and sliders and isn't the, like, up in the zone, high spin rate, swing and miss guy. But after I talked to St. Louis after drafting him, I was like, all right, talk to me why. Like, some teams wouldn't have taken him, you know, 15 picks after that. 
And they're like, well, we think he might be a 200 inning starter. And, you know, that kind of matters. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. It seems pretty simple, but it's also like not what everyone else is thinking. So it kind of gives you an edge uh, when it comes to that market when like, you have a certain point of view. And, and their point of view is, I think, traditional, but in a way that's effective. Kylie, I want to stick there for a second because we've actually been talking a lot about organizational philosophies this week on the show. We talked to Randy Flores about how the Cardinals draft and develop. We talked to Kevin Ibach as the Cardinals played the Rays about what their ethos is. When you look around baseball, what organization do you think has been the most effective when it comes to drafting and development? I mean, I think if you go pound for pound, like top to bottom, including the big leagues, it would have to be the Rays because they have arguably the least amount of money and probably the most success uh, and tend to have a top farm system along with a top big league team. Uh, when you go just as drafting and development, it's one of those things where if you ever read these studies about uh, in the NFL, like, oh, which team has like the hot hand when it comes to the draft? And it's like, oh, if you do it like over 10 or 15 years, nobody does. And it's kind of the same way in baseball that like you can pick a couple Hall of Famers. You're probably going to have a couple bad drafts after that. And so whoever's, like, best at it is really more about, like, are your 10th and 15th rounders, you know, throwing 95 and have some trade value. It's, like, little stuff like that that doesn't really matter, but it's an indicator that the process is good. And, like, every two or three years, it's a different team. But it tends to be, you know, Yankees, Dodgers, Rays. Uh, I think for a while, like, the Twins look good. And then, like, the D-backs look hot for a couple years. Then they've been, you know, not as good for a couple years. Like, it really uh, really shifts a lot other than these sort of, like, you know, perennially in the playoffs every year kind of teams. They tend to also be the, the, you know, the best when it comes to developing players. Kylie, last year, when uh, Jordan Walker was playing in the Florida State League, John Mozeliak said the two guys that we've had that I will compare him to are Albert Pujols and Oscar Tavares. Obviously, Jordan now playing at Springfield. What do you think the Cardinals have in Jordan Walker? So I did an article uh, last week at ESPN.com about who is the best prospect in the minors because I think I think it was all of my top three were in the big leagues and weren't coming back down. And then like half of the rest of the top ten was either up or in AAA and about to come up. So it was like, okay, let's talk about who's best right now and who's in position to be the top guy this offseason. And I named eight guys, and Walker wasn't one of them, but he was probably number nine. And the eight guys was sort of, you know, asking around the industry, what's the group of players? Uh, and I, and my point at the end of the article was like, oh, if you gave me an extra month, that list of eight would change. Whoever I say would number one will change. We're just at that point where there's just enough games that if someone's terrible or fantastic, you can round them up, or round them down, but you can't really like move them dramatically after 40 games. Like that's a little too much. Uh, and so Walker is like, like I said, just behind that group of guys. Like Francisco Alvarez was ninth on my top 100. Walker was in like the late teens. I think Alvarez is number one in the minors right now. Uh, and so, you know, you can then do the math and say that that means Walker would be, you know, somewhere eight to 10, uh, especially after a couple of these guys are probably going to graduate. Uh, in terms of tools, I mean, it's a chance to be 30, 35 homers, chance to be a third baseman, hit 250 to 270 with a pretty good approach. Like, it's pretty rare stuff that if you're trying to find cops for them, guys that are in the big leagues right now, there's not that many guys that play a position that matters that have, like, that kind of impact on their bat. Like, that's, that's the separator there is the power. The rest of the tools are pretty good. They'll be enough to be an everyday guy. But if he can get to 30, maybe 40 homers, then obviously that sort of carries the whole profile. And you mentioned that he has a chance to be a third baseman, but the Cardinals have one of those here in St. Louis. <laughs> Does Walker have the ability to be a corner outfield? Yeah, I think he, he doesn't have like the best long speed in the world, which is usually the separation between a guy that can play left or right field that's never done it before and a guy that then has to play first base. Uh, he's got good hands and good first steps, so I think first base is probably a more natural fit for him. But if you told him, like, hey, if you want to play in the big leagues, you need to you know, lose 10 pounds and get a little bit quicker and get an extra tick of speed, I think he's one of those guys that can do that kind of thing if you tell him you know, in advance. In the same way that like Nolan Gorman, like, hey, you need to get a little better at second base. It seems like, well, that may not be your most natural position. You need to figure out how to get natural over there. 
there and he figured it out. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things you'll probably hear it on the, on the draft broadcast on ESPN. I've sort of uh, adapted my evaluation technique a bit where instead of saying, well, this guy can do this and then he can't do that and then he can do this and just sort of line up all these pros and cons. It's like, well, can you do the two or three things that matter? And does he have really good makeup? Then he's probably going to figure it out. And that tends to be how things go. Kylie, we're getting closer to the MLB draft. This is an intriguing draft. A lot of sons of former Major League stars in this one, and one that we're paying a little bit of special attention to here in St. Louis, of course, is Jackson Holiday, Matt Holiday's son, who's a shortstop out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. And a lot of mock drafts, he's projected to go number one overall. Do you think he does, and what do you think he's projected to be? So I've been told by sources that Baltimore's down to five guys. I know Holiday is one of them. Uh, I don't think he'll be the pick. Uh, but I think he'll either go two or three. Uh, two would be Arizona and three would be Texas. I think Texas is probably as far as he goes. And I think Drew Jones, another uh, son of a notable big leaguer, I think he either goes one or two. So I think those are the two guys that are sort of locked into those high picks. And then pretty much everybody else we're talking about could go anywhere from maybe one at a discount to eh, in a scenario that might go seventh or eighth. Uh, there's just like a lot of around those two guys. There's a lot of stuff that's like, you know, possibly in play. Uh, and I think as far as like the kinds of player he is, if you watch the draft last year, Marcelo Meyer, uh, was generally seen as the best prospect. I thought he was number two. He ended up going fourth overall. Uh, they have basically the same tool grades. They're both left-handed hitting shortstops with a chance to be above average at everything. The only difference is Meyer, I think, is a slightly better prospect because he's that 6'3", projectable, long athletic, and Holiday is more of a maxed out, like 6'1", is like trying to hit home runs now. He's a slightly more polished, but he also might get there a little bit quicker. And in your mock draft, Kylie, you have the Cardinals taking an Alabama left-hander by the name of Connor Prelip, and it's hard to do mock drafts and nail him, but is that where you think the Cardinals are going back to the starting pitching route? Yeah, the the, sort of, the the weird thing that's happening in this year's draft is there is not a pitcher, high school or college, that is worth taking for a full slot value in the top 10, maybe as high as 20 picks. Like it's, it's, just, it's real mixed and a lot of different opinions out there. And it looks like there's going to be a couple teams in that 10 to 15 area that are just going to force it and take a pitcher and save a little money and then try to spend it later. And I think the Cardinals are at the tail end of that where like the good 10, 12, maybe 15 guys everyone agrees on probably aren't going to get there. So they're going to be dealing with they get to pick you know through the rest of those uh, college pitchers, which I think you know they have a history of taking those guys and having some success. So I tend to think they'll they'll dip into that. Uh, but I think in that second tier, there might be a guy that they love. That, I mean, the guy I like the most is Tucker Tolman, a uh, high school third baseman out of South Carolina. That's the guy I'd take in the position that they're in. Uh, but it's also, like you said, it's like a little early. If I like, There's some teams picking around the Cardinals that I've said, like, hey, if you could make me a complete list of everyone you might actually pick at your pick, how deep would it be? And they'd be like, you know, I'm picking 20. Uh, I need to put about 35 guys on that list. Like, we're, <laughs> we're, we're still way out there that I don't know who's getting there. I don't know what everyone's prices are. Like, we haven't had private workouts yet. Some guys, you know, like Kumar Rocker just had his first outing of the year a couple days ago. Some guys that might go in the top 30 picks just had their first outing on the Cape. Um, there's still just, like, a lot of stuff to go. But I think sort of reading the tea leaves of the kinds of guys the Cardinals take, I think Connor Prelip would make a lot of sense. And finally, uh, Kylie, I want to run down just the list of guys that haven't, the, the rookies that haven't been here in St. Louis all year and find out who is most intriguing to you. Is it Gorman, Donovan? Dylan Carlson was a rookie last year, so I'm going to put him in the list. Uh, is there another young Cardinal that particularly intrigues Kylie McDaniel? 
Uh, I'll give you one in the majors, one in the minors. So I would say Gorman is the guy. When I, he and Austin Riley were the guys when I was working for the Braves that uh, I was doing the West Coast. So Nolan Gorman was sort of the guy that I was dialed in on, and he very nearly was drafted by the Braves uh, that year when they took Carter Stewart instead. Um, he, he was the guy that uh, both of them in high school, him and Austin Riley. The question was, oh, he's a little too big. Is he going to be able to move laterally enough to play third base in the big leagues? And that's you know part of the reason I've gotten to that point where it's like, oh, is he good at like hitting, hitting for power and performing in games, and he's got good makeup? Then he'll figure it out. And so him and Austin Riley are my two examples, and they both worked out pretty well so far. Uh, and also, like Gorman has, depending on what his approach is at the plate, like he has a chance to be a you know 260 with 30 home runs if everything comes together. Like I ranked him right near Jordan Walker. The upside is not that different. So I think he's the best guy of that group. And then the minors, uh, Mason Wynn has had a fantastic beginning to the season. He's already in Double A as a 20 year old, and he also has a chance to be an eighth or ninth inning pitcher if they want him to be. Uh, so there's like an incredible amount of talent there. And I thought it would be because it's two ways because he's very young, a little more athletic and raw than polished i thought he'd be a little bit of a slow and low you know barbecue kind of guy through the minors and like he has just like set it ablaze so far uh might, might be more of a hibachi situation <laughs> because they're pretty fast so uh i would keep an eye on him because I, I think him and jordan walker are sitting right there at the top of the farm system and i think will be a factor in decisions for the next year or two trying to make sure that they aren't held back kylie mcdaniel it's always a good choice for us when you, we have you on the show we love your work at espn.com thank you so much for the time and we'll do it again soon Yep, thanks for having me. Take care. That is Kylie McDaniel. ESPN.com does fantastic work. He has his mock draft up right now and other work, and you should check that out. Coming up next, what's on tap on 101 ESPN? We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey, Sunday is We Went Blues Day, the three-year anniversary of the Stanley Cup victory. And on Sunday, here on 101 ESPN, at noon, we're going to air Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final from 2019. So we want you to get involved. More on everything the Blues are doing uh, for We Went Blues Day, available at 101ESPN.com and at stlblues.com. But uh, they're going to air game seven of the finals on TV at seven o'clock on Sunday. So that'll be fun. And you've got exclusive merchandise from STL Authentics. It's been three years since the Blues won the Stanley Cup. And Michelle, the anniversary is on Sunday. I can't believe it's been that long. I can't either. It's it feels like flown by. simultaneously it was just yesterday, but also that it was 20 years ago because right. of the pandemic and the way yeah. time feels different now. But it also feels like it just happened, especially because a lot of those key pieces are still with the team. Right. And the window is still open. It is. It's going to be good next year. And by the way, you can go to social media as well over the course of the weekend and relive some of the best memories from Game 7 and the celebration that ensued, which is pretty good, by following the Blues on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram throughout the day. On Sunday, fans encouraged to upload their own memories using hashtag WeWentBlues for a chance to win a Stanley Cup final-themed prize pack. So, catchphrases that came from that. We went blues. Mm -hmm. You guys are bleeped. I'm a hometown hero, baby. Um, I don't know if we throw Gloria in there. Do I look nervous? Do I look nervous? You're right. Um, We'll take Gloria out. Play Play Gloria. Gloria. Play Gloria. That's five. Okay, how would you power rank those? What, basically, my question is, of all the things that we think about when it comes to phrases that remind us of that run, what's the one that sticks out the most to you? When somebody says, play Gloria, we all know in St. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. 
it's so obvious with Maroon, but we all imitate it. I'm a hometown hero, baby! Right? We all do. Everybody has a, a Pat Maroon imitation. Um, I think <laughs> my third would have to be We Went Blues. My fourth would probably be Do I Look Nervous? And then my fifth would be You Guys Are Blanked. Like fifth as in the lowest in the yes, chain? yeah. See, that one's number one for me. Really? You want to know why? Because for so many years, the blues were cursed, and it never mm-hmm. worked out for them. When Pat Maroon looked over at the Bruins and he said, You Guys Are Blanked, it was a confidence in a blues team at that stage of the game that I don't think the fan base had felt in a long time. And that's kind of the moment that we knew, these guys are built different. Mm-hmm. This is a group that does not let things get to them and that knows how good they are. And they can get it done. You know what, Michelle? I think the thing for me is there's audio of the first four. Maybe it's just because there wasn't audio. We knew he said it because we could read his lips. But to me, that might be the differentiator. Maybe that's why I put it down there. But yeah, it's it's a great gif, right? When when it when something is going good for your team against the other team, to always use Pat Maroon, you guys are blank. That's a good gift to, to throw out there. He just looked into their souls. Yeah, and he, he did. said, I am going to beat you. We are going to beat you. And he, and then they did it. Yep. So We Win Blues Day is Sunday, and we'll have the broadcast of Game 7 for you. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale, and the gang. And that is at noon on Sunday. Meanwhile, LeBron James is now a billionaire. He's got a billion dollars. He does. And says he wants to own an NBA franchise, an expansion franchise, in Vegas. Michael Jordan hasn't had the greatest success owning a franchise in Charlotte. What do you think of LeBron eventually owning a team in Vegas, and I'm guessing Bronny's going to play for it. Probably. I would imagine if he's the owner that that would be Mm -hmm. something we can all bank on. First of all, I think um, Vegas, better market than Charlotte. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen how the Raiders are having success, how the Vegas Golden Knights are having success in Vegas. And as gambling continues to be so prominent in our culture, people are going to always want to go out to Vegas. It's not only a market where people are going to show up and support their teams, but it becomes a thing to do, a bucket list thing to do for all the people that go visit Vegas all the time. And I think LeBron's been a GM essentially in the league for a long time. He's been uh, behind some good and some bad basketball decisions that organizations have had to enact. And I don't know. I just, I think that from a business standpoint that I think he'd do a good job. I think that LeBron would be a good owner. I think he knows how to utilize social media. I think from a marketing standpoint, he knows how to get things done. He's, well, I guess we thought the same thing about Jordan and the, the Jordan brand. Is, the difference is, is that LeBron has very successful business people that he's already worked with for a long time. Spring Hill. Have, yep, and, and Rich Paul and the, the, the whole Clutch Gang. Yeah. That, he, that are great basketball scouts that are very influential already in the NBA. And I have to believe that he would utilize those people and those connections that he has. Uh, Michael obviously knew a lot of people. But Michael also thinks he knows more than anybody else. I think LeBron. I, with LeBron, I get the sense that he shares the wealth in terms of knowledge. It's more of a surrounding cast yep. and a collective effort. Yep. You're right. And I think that he would make sure to put the right people in charge. But the difference is, is I think that when it comes down to it, 
they both are going to always think they're the smartest guy in the room. And will mm-hmm. he be a meddling owner? Will he know enough to just step away and let the smart people do what they are supposed to do? Matthew, that's the thing because Charlotte, in a mid-sized market, they're doing fine business-wise with the Hornets. It's it's the on the field, it's the basketball yeah. ops that's the issue. Right. And we've seen what, Le- what LeBron can do when he's his own GM, and it's not building necessarily the most effective basketball team in the world. And so I wonder, is he going to be a little Jerry? With you know, as as an owner, when when it comes to maybe affecting too much on the on the court. Well, another problem that Michael has, and he's just getting away from it now, is that he was almost victimized by the Phil Jackson offense, and he and Phil both tried to play that offense after it had become obsolete in the NBA. I think LeBron appears to be a little bit more open minded in just the style of play that he likes to employ. And by the time. He becomes an owner. I would imagine most of, most of his buddies are out of the league. Yeah, that's going to be important. You know, so it's not like he's going to have to get all the banana boat guys. Right. But think about all the stars that would show up. We'd oh. be talking about that team all the time. Yep. And within 10 years, Vegas will have gone from no pro sports teams to all four of the big ones. That's what gambling will do. It will. A great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Pleasure. Michelle, this was a fun week. Uh, and like you said, I, I swept. I was pretty happy with that. I, I, I swept and so did the Rays. <laughs> and we're ending on a peak and a pit. That's oh. <laughs> true. Uh, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Have a great weekend. Don't forget, you can join us and you can get a bay at Top Golf on Sunday night for Swinging for Impact. Just go to bigleagueimpact.org and Adam Wainwright has a great party set up for Sunday night and you can still get involved with that. And until Monday morning at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Looking for something to do this weekend? When it comes to sports, nothing beats cheering your team on live. Vivid Seats has tickets for every league, all the best matchups at great prices, and all with a 100% buyer guarantee. Plus, they're the only ticketing company where you can earn rewards with every purchase. No one else has that. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today and use Sports Now for $10 off your first $100 purchase. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.